what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 70 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stabman. As always, I'm joined by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and a very baby-faced ass Jake Long as we re-watch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, as we do uh, on a round number, 70th episode, the haters are furious that we made it to 70 episodes. They cannot believe it. They're in my DMs and they simply cannot believe it. Unfathomable. Um, we decided to pick something just else, something off the randomizer, some different stuff, some different guys to talk about. And that's what we did. And Angelo, it was his turn to pick. He picked a show that I was, I was very glad that he picked TNA unbreakable in 2005, uh, featuring my favorite match of all time. Uh, just a ton of guys and a ton of stuff that we haven't talked about yet. We've done a TNA show before. We did, I believe it was Lockdown. Was it 2009? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, yeah, 2009 Lockdown. That's yeah. right. This is like kind of right in what I would consider the golden era of TNA. <laughs> Wait, hold on. The golden era of TNA? Like, if there is such a thing, yes. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to think of like what that means. It would be like... Like, I, I can't even think of a good comparison because I wasn't ready for it. But there's got to be a funny comparison to be made somewhere. It's the golden era of TNA in as much as, like, this was the era where, like, as a wrestling fan, TNA was actually usually fun to watch. Because ooh, ooh, ooh. Of- it's like, it's like uh, the golden era of the Jets was, like, the Mark Sanchez years, right? Well, no, the Jets have a Super Bowl, so you can point to that as the golden era. I was thinking Yeah, no, I don't of- count. I was kind. Of, I was thinking more along the lines of the goal era of like the Minnesota Vikings or the Detroit Lions teams that literally have never won anything. But yes, the Jets would also function because the Jets are. I'm going mess. to grant. I'm going to grant the Jets metaphor. But like, I mean, like it is the golden age in terms of like TNA was actually like had a lot of great talent and was genuinely like kind of fun to watch at this point in time. Yeah, and then it like. You know, they brought in Hogan and those guys, and it just went sh- fucking drop stone really bad. But, like, this is an era where, like, if you were a wrestling fan, you probably should have been watching TNA at the time because of the talent that they had and some of the, the matches that they were putting on. And we see some really, really fucking good matches on the show. So, but this is an, an, an we, we have, like I said, we have talked about a TNA show in the past, but we have not visited this era of TNA. We've talked about a, a several WWE shows from this time period, but this is the first time we are checking out what was TNA up to? What was TNA like at this time when they were pretty clearly the number two wrestling promotion in the United States? Uh, so yeah, I've been looking forward to uh, talking about this one. What's going on, boys? Well, I won't go back to, since you have approved the Jets comparison, I feel like I have to speak on this. You approved the Jets comparison. You said that the moment Hogan came in, TNA fell off a cliff. So are we comparing Hulk Hogan? Now, grand, the timelines don't exactly match up. We're comparing Hulk Hogan to Adam Gase, correct? Because that's when the Jets have lost all signs of reputability. Because at least with Todd Bowles, there's an understanding that he was... You know, a reasonable hire. Hiring Adam Gase made no goddamn sense. So Adam Gase is the Hulk Hogan of the NFL. Stamp it down. <laughs> Adam um, Gase made Peyton Manning good. Remember? Yeah, no. I, 
I I would say that no. Number one, you're right. The timing doesn't work out. I would say more that Hulk Hogan was the the Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let's have that good year though. I guess that works for Hogan too. Oh yeah. Maybe Gino. Maybe was it G- is Hogan is Hogan Gino? <laughs> I remember Gino broke or got his freaking broad uh, jaw, jaw broken, broken by IK in Kampali. Yeah. That's good. You know, I don't know. Remembering I, the wrong guys here. I don't remember these mid two thousand Jets ever again in my life. This is we're talking about early twenty tens. Come on, man, get your own time frame right for the team that you root for. And I have to, I have to literally fucking read a thousand group mess, uh, group me messages every day. Are you screaming about Mike White and how pissed off you are about uh, Zach Wilson? And I have to, I have to be subjected to this for for you know hours every day the least you can do is get your time timeline right on your team angelo they're, they're not worth it they're not worth <laughs> it sadly so far in the 2000s the 2020s decade uh mike white's the high point so we'll see where that goes in the next nine years yes this is a new york jets podcast oh i am signing off right now <laughs> it's a jets podcast Anyway, uh, Eric Bischoff was the Mike Tannenbaum of TNA. And uh, yeah, but we are we are right back. We, we are here. What's going on? We're not, we're not talking about the fucking Jets. We're talking about wrestling. What's going on? Let's talk about some fucking wrestling. What's going on, boys? I really wish, like, <laughs> actually, I was going to say, I really wish that NFL teams were run more like a wrestling promotion. And then I remember the first iteration of the XFL, and I'm glad they're not. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, again, a lot of good wrestling content here. And even, like, to this week, I mean, Raw was passable, which is, you know, a step up for them. NXT 2.0 is still being NXT 2.0, which is interesting in its own right. Not always good, but at least interesting. Obviously, AEW is killing it. I'm reading uh, Mox's book, and it's really interesting. It's just one long Mox promo is essentially what his book is. Yeah. And it's all oh, fantastic. Man. That just made me think of that time that he – that promo he cut – not promo, but like the video package for Lance Archer. When he was like in the bar, mm-hmm. yeah, so, like, oh taking a shot. I think about that promo every day. Everybody dies. <laughs> you know what they say? What, he, what they say, Lance? Everybody dies. Yeah, takes I, the I, shot, I walks out. <laughs> I, I I I think about that promo all the time. But yeah, no, I've heard very good things about the Mox book, and I probably won't ever read it. But I'm glad for him that he wrote a good book. So, and I hope that he's doing well in his life. But yeah. Uh, TNA, Unbreakable. What'd you guys think? I enjoyed the show. I thought it was fun. I thought it was definitely a... I I thought it was a TNA pay-per-view that had an awesome main event. I kind of agree with Jake. I think it was better than a lot of the WWE shows that we get that make us want to pull our eyes out halfway through. It's certainly better than a lot of the WCW stuff we've gotten, for the most part. It, it, there wasn't anything that really moved the needle until the main event, but it was still like, hey, it's solid wrestling. They got some over-the-top characters. Commentary is pretty good. Uh, it's just that there isn't like uh, – there's not a lot of stake to it. There's not a lot on the boat. Yeah, I will say this, and I think it's pretty emblematic of, you know, the existence of TNA, especially during this time period. Uh, the good parts of the show – we're all X division related. <laughs> we had yes. three really good matches on the show. I would say, obviously, the main event, which is a legendary match. But I thought Austin Aries Roderick Strong was a very good match. 
I thought Chris Saban, Petey Williams was a very good match. Yes. All three of those matches, X division matches. And then the rest of it always like mediocre to bad pretty much. Yes. They were so, professional wrestling on this show. Yeah, there was. And, and like in those, in those parts, there were like oh, the, the parts that I said were mediocre to bad. There are some guys and some things that happened that I did enjoy, but by and large, it's like, not standing like it's not really like standout stuff you know what right I mean? but like that is kind of why you tuned in to tna at this time really throughout like this mid-2000s period and why it was worth watching is because they had the x division and they had a brand of wrestling and a, a quality of wrestling that you would not see on wwe every week uh and that's why you came there um and then the rest of it you know, hey, if it was good, then great. And if not, then, you know, fuck it, man. This is Jeff Jarrett. You know, this is Jeff Jarrett's promotion. Let's remember. So just take it all with a grain of salt. You were. Do you think he would ever book himself to, uh, you know, like win the title? No. Come on. Nah. He's humble enough to never do that. Yeah, he would never be egocentric enough to book himself as champion repeatedly and have himself be the, uh, like, Poochie from the, uh, that, uh, Simpsons episode where it's like every time he's off screen, everyone needs to be asking, "Where's Poochie?" Poochie. <laughs> like he, he would never book himself to be Poochie in his own. No, there's no way. You were just hoping that it wasn't an absolute train wreck. You're hoping that those low moments were just like for. You were hoping they were forgettable, not draining. Yeah, and I would say that they succeeded in being forgettable at least. Uh, yeah. Although. Even though Jeff Jarrett is not scheduled to wrestle on the show, we do get multiple Jeff Jarrett run-ins in two different matches. So we will Yay. see. We will see. We do. We do not though get the good part of the Jarrett experience, which is it at least was cool when he would break a guitar into a thousand pieces on somebody. Like that was always cool. We do not get a guitar shot, which is a waste. If you're gonna have Jarrett, at least let him break a fucking guitar. Otherwise, what do you got? Otherwise, he's not going to draw a dime. Yeah. <laughs> Quick question for you guys before we get into it. How many first-time appearances do we have on today's pod? Oh, God. Oh, Motherfuck. I, Nine. I think it's like... Do do I get to look at the card and, like, check? Or do I have to go off? No, no Five, off the cuff. Four, three, two, one. I'm going to say eight. Eleven. Eleven. Ah. Well, I think like several of them are in this first match. Uh, um, no, actually, well, at least two, right? I mean, I David Young at least, and just I'm one. Simon Diamond too, right? No, we've had Simon Diamond on. He was Simon on the ECW Diamond? one. I always forget that he was a guy. Oh yeah. Seem the Naturals probably. Monty Brown for sure. Apollo for sure. I'll go through the list. David Young, Austin Aries, Monty Brown, uh, Apollo, Lance Archer, Petey Williams, Andy Douglas, Chase Stevens, Johnny Candido, Chris Harris, A1, and surprising me, Eric Young. Yeah. What? Eric Young's first time on the pod. Yeah, interesting. Well, interesting. I mean, it's not like he was on any WWE main roster pay-per-views. That's true. <laughs> so... I guess that checks out, maybe. If he wasn't on an NXT takeover, which I feel like he wasn't even on that many, to be honest with you, either. So Sandy deserved better. Um, yeah, they did deserve better. But, I mean, it sounds like, now that we, 11 new guys to remember, geez. Sounds like we should get cracking at it. 
You guys ready to remember some guys? Always. Let's get going. Let's freaking do it, man. It is September 11th, 2005. And we are at the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we have a full crowd, 775 fans in attendance on uh, yeah Impact Zone, which if I remember correctly was like a soundstage of, at Universal Studios where they had yes. the matches in. Um, and, it, you know, it's September 11, 2005. You know, it's the fourth anniversary of 9-11. And I believe only just recently before we had a – it was Hurricane Katrina. So we get a very solemn graphic right at the start of this uh, pay-per-view that says, this event is dedicated to the unbreakable spirit of the American people. And with that note, note, it is time for TNA wrestling. Um, And they do this like, like, you know, it's the start of football season. Uh, They do this like uh, intro package, which is sort of like a football parody where they have like the old Monday night football theme song. And we have the classic TNA announcing combo of Mike Tenay and Don West. You know, to be honest with you, one of my all-time favorite commentary. They're good. I loved those guys so much. They have the Tony Romo effect. Like, Tenay is definitely more well-versed and does a good job telling stories and history about the matchup. But for a lot of the matches, it's just like you're watching watching the show along with them and they're reacting to it, which I think is, like – the least lowest bar you have to clear, because like sometimes it's just like, hey, we're watching the we're watching the game with Mike today and Don West. We're having a good time. Why not? Yeah, I mean, today was great because as he was in WCW, he was the guy that was super knowledgeable, right? They would always have him on like the cruiserweight the cruiserweight matches where they would have like the Japanese guys and the. The, the the luchadors because like they would bring Tanae in because he would know who all these people are and be able to tell you like everything about them and give you a reason to care about them beyond them just being like oh here's some Japanese guy I've never seen before why should I care about him um, and so he has all this knowledge and then you have Don West who was like the TV infomercial guy who like didn't have like uh, like a wrestling background at all but was in there to be really fucking enthusiastic and screaming his head off. He did that. Excited. And he was really good at that. And then like Tanae would like his energy would build off of Don West too. Like it was, that's a, I I love that commentary team. I think they're great. And I I enjoyed listening to them on this show. It was a nice uh, nostalgia trip for me. Um, But we open up with a six man tag featuring a bunch of guys right here. So we have a team of uh, the Diamonds in the Rough, a stable led by uh, former ECW guy Simon Diamond. He is there with a primetime Elix Skipper, one of my like low-key favorites from this time period, a guy who was like legit like way before his time. Um, and a guy named uh, David Young, who I completely forgot he existed. He's just some guy. Uh, but he's in this match against, and this is, this is a team that I completely forgot existed, uh, in TNA at this time, they're taking on three live crew, which is a stable composed of Conan, our truth at the time, just going by Ron, the truth killings and, uh, BG James, better known as the road dog from the new age outlaw. So it's like three like random guys put together here in this, uh, this team. Um, 
this is it's 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 interesting like we're so used to our truth for a number of years now in wwe mainly being like just a comedy guy and now it's like we've got it's always weird to see like here's a serious ron yeah killings who's like out here to fucking be a you know kick some ass you know and he's but I, like, think he, I think he does it all right though yeah, no, I think he, I always thought uh, Truth was cool as shit when he was in TNA, yeah. honest with you. Um, and he's like, he's like out there dancing, but it's like more serious dancing, you know, <laughs> kind of more directed energy. Like, it's an I'm about to kick your ass type of dance. Less, less Adam Rose, more D'Lo Brown. Yes, agreed, <laughs> completely. Um, and we get uh, Conan cuts a pro- Conan cuts every single. It's it's the same as every single Conan promo ever. And then uh, the Road Dog gets the mic and he does the New Age Outlaws <laughs> um, like spiel, except he just like slightly changes it to be about the three live crew instead of the, <laughs> the, the New Age Outlaws. And give the uh, people what they want. Yeah, we are of course. This is our first match of the night. We are wrestling in the six-sided ring, which was the staple of TNA at the time. Really the only major American promotion to ever use the six-sided ring. You do see it in Mexico. Triple A most notably uses the six-sided ring. But uh, that was a very unique thing that gave TNA its own kind of identity and, and gave their matches a little bit of a different dynamic. Um, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, we have this match in the six sided ring uh, to lead off the show. It's a pretty short match. Um, prime time does some, uh, prime time. Elix skipper does some, uh, flying moves. Conan gets a hot tag, um, throws a clothesline at Elix skipper. Uh, he bridges out of it, but then Conan turns around, catches him into a reverse KDT, takes his shoe off and throws it, like, pegs it at David Young to take him out of the ring, and then hits an X-Factor on primetime, and the three live crew win the match in four minutes and 20 seconds to lead it off. This was this was an opening match. Like, I, listen, I am always the, like, I am the, I don't want to say contrarian, but, like, I'm the guy that's just kind of always down on stuff. And, like, this was just, this was fine. I mean, there were like, I, I love the guys that are in it. I think there's some awesome guys, but like, what was, was there, was there anything special about this match? No. I was surprised. It happened. I was surprised Everything how was fine. fast it went. Like, I, I, like you blinked. It was only it was like over. four and a half minutes. Yeah, you blinked it was over. But yeah, I mean, th- to say this was a good match would be just blasphemous. It was a match, it had guys in it. But I think the biggest thing is, like, it's just to start the fans off. You're giving them three guys who are super charismatic. Like, the charisma level of the three live crew with Road Dog, R-Truth, and Conan is just insane. It's just, again, over the top, ridiculous. They all could cut great promos whenever they want. And you have just pretty bland heels. I know Elix Skipper is a guy that we really, really enjoy. But with Simon Diamond and David Young, they're just kind of bland. So you're just kind of essentially giving the faces, the people that the the guys that people want to see you're just giving them a nice win to pop the crowd and there are worse ways to start the show so you know yeah let's start off with something low stakes have fan favorites go over and prepare them for the next match yeah i i do i do love me some uh some prime time uh still responsible for one of the greatest spots of all time uh tna turning point 2004 
uh, Cage Walk Hurricane Rana during. Yes. Yes, one of the coolest fucking spots ever. Guy yeah. was awesome. But what was like, 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 what was the coolest thing that he did in this match? Like nothing, no, nah, nothing really. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm curious because I mean, you know, it's it is the first thing that jumps out at you when you watch a TNA show from this time period. Uh, is the six sided ring? Yeah. I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on the six sided ring. Did, didn't we already? Did we not talk about it with lockdown? Was lockdown? I thought lockdown was after they switched to the four. That I might be wrong though. I remember us talking about it briefly, but like again, it pops right off the screen, especially if you're trying to hook someone that doesn't really watch pro wrestling. You show them the six side ring, you're like, uh, it's kind of like UFC. It's kind of not UFC. Like, what's going on here? I do think that for like tag matches, it doesn't lend itself too well just for like for how the shape is. I feel like it's just a normal. Because, like, you kind of miss out on those, like, random tag spots or just, I don't know. The Irish whips always look funny in the six-sided ring, and we'll get to them. But if you're just trying to capture the eye of somebody, the six-sided ring is just, like, a great gimmick. And also, like, the colors of TNA, they're a little bit brighter. They're less muted than WWE at the time. So it really kind of, again, just catches the eye. Yeah. I, I did look it up, and you are right. Uh, lockdown 2009, which we did watch, was in the six sided ring. I feel like it wasn't that long before they switched to a four sided ring, though. It probably, like, probably wasn't. Yeah. But it was one thing that, like, was interesting to me. And I'm probably going to get into some weird nerd shit right here. But, like, I was thinking about it when I was watching the show. So, like, like the, number one, like, the ring kind of looks huge with a six sided ring. Yeah. Like, the surface area of the ring looks like huge. Because it's a hexagon instead of a, a a square, which like, and I'm sure it was like larger, but like I was thinking about it a lot because like, um, with a bigger ring, like I feel like that can fuck up your timing. Like, yeah. so mo- if you're a wrestler, most rings that you're going to wrestle in are going to be either 16 feet or 18 feet across, and when you're running the ropes, you're supposed to be able to do that, clear that in like three steps, like hit the rope one, two, three. And then on the third step is when you pivot and then hit the ropes again to go back. Some, I think AEW and WWE use 20 foot rings and like, depending on, I've never been in a 20 foot ring, but like if you, depending on how big or small your stride is, like you might have to go to four steps and that can change timing a little bit and change your footwork a little bit. And like, I was wondering like how fucking huge is this TNA ring? Like, cause like, if it's really like that big, like that can really screw up your timing a lot on a lot of things. But I was looking at people's feet as they were running the ropes, at least in these first couple matches, and they all seem to be doing it in three steps. So I was like, I guess it's not as big as I think it is, but it looks yeah. huge. When we get so to, I don't know. when we get to the Ravens rules match, I think you kind of see just how small the ring is. Cause he starts throwing a bunch of weapons in there and you realize how fast it fills up. <laughs> Whereas, like, if you're yeah. just having, a, like, a few guys, like, one or two or three guys in the ring at a time, it, you really don't get the scope of it. Yeah. It's, like, maybe it's just, like, it's, like, an optical illusion where, like, the shape makes it look really bigger than it yeah. is. I haven't been able to find, like, any info on how big the, like, what was the square footage of the TNA six-sided ring. And this is probably something that I am the only person on the planet who gives a shit about this. But I was still really interested in it, and I can't figure it out. But that was that was low key, very interesting to me as I was watching the show. Well, I'm thinking about it as a math nerd too, 
And if you just if you think in like the whole thing is the distance between the ropes and you're supposed to run into the certain amount of times because now that's what I'm thinking about. It's probably it probably is smaller because it, you you're essentially cutting off the corners of a square ring to make the hexagon if you're going with that uh, diameter. So it's probably is a smaller ring square footage wise compared to your typical promotion like professional wrestling ring depending on what's it, again it kind of depends on the size whether you are using maybe the, an 18 foot ring or 16 foot ring or you're using like the big 20 foot ring so yeah. if, it's, if it's 20 foot maybe it's a little bit bigger than what you're used to but it's still going to be smaller than what wwe uses if it's 18 foot it's going to be smaller than what you use yeah i mean like most most people use 18 foot rings but wwe i know and i think aew use 20 footers so like that's just I, I just, I want to know. I want to know how fucking big that ring was. <laughs> someone, someone tell me, I want to know. Well, if anyone knows how big the TNA ring was, if anyone can give me a diagram, send that shit over to me. Send that shit over to me. Send me the fucking documents. I like your funny words. So <laughs> next up, we have uh, a X Division showcase between two Ring of Honor stars. It is uh, Austin Aries, who uh, everyone knows as uh, one of the biggest dickheads in wrestling, and a, a, a baby. Look at this freaking baby boy, Roderick Strong. Roderick Strong looks like he's 15 years old in this match. Um, and so you have two really, really good workers here, two guys who were stars in Ring of Honor at the time. Um, they, uh, Mike Tanay and Don West, or Mike Tanay does mention that they – Actually, they're they're fighting each other on this show, but uh, at the time they were actually stablemates in Ring of Honor. I believe it was Generation Next was the name of the stable, and we do get some light uh, Ring of Honor chants from the crowd. Um, technically, a very very good match. I really enjoyed it. Uh, very good chain wrestling back and forth. Uh, Roddy is you know working heel pretty much. Um, you know, he's, he's the backbreaker guy. He hits a bunch of backbreakers and works over the back, uh, throughout a lot of the match. Um, Aries comes back, hits some cool moves. It's the pendulum elbow for a near fall. Hits a screen, a slingshot corkscrew splash. Roddy comes back with a tilt a world backbreaker, a fireman's carry into a gut buster for a big near fall. He goes for his, uh, finishing hold, the stronghold. Aries fights out of it, comes back. Hits the vertical drop brain buster and the 450 splash. And Austin Aries gets the pin, wins the match in eight minutes. I like this one a lot. Uh, this And this one was good, but it actually just made me think about how I'm going to ROH final battle in a week. Yes. It just yeah. kind of made me think about that a lot. Very, very jealous of you getting to go to a, a final battle. I just had my buddy ask, like, hey, you want to go to see final battle? And, uh, you know, I'm going to call it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to officially call it. I'm gonna go to Ring of Honor's final ever pay per view. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that is that's what it is. Yeah, I don't I don't want to say one way or another, but uh, you know, like, you, like you could like you could very well be witnessing history there. Yeah, you know? I, I I firmly like I know they said that they're gonna come back and restructure. I'm wondering if they're not gonna like completely restructure. Like, yeah, it's not a good sign, and I I can't say that I've heard very positive things but i mean they say that they say they're coming back but yeah, they say they're know. coming back god knows i hope they do i really hope that they do hey you know if they still had austin aries and uh, roddy strong putting on bangers like this maybe they would still be who knows i mean never you know, know. I, I know the people clamor to see roddy 
I also love the idea of just like a showcase matchup, just like you're showing off two guys are going at it and you know, it's not, it's not a real match of stakes, but like there still is kind of something to be said in the showcase. Like it, it, it feels like it matters just a little bit more and both these guys just sell tremendously. Aries especially was just selling his ass off the entire time with everything Roddy was throwing at him. The chops that they were doing to each other too, just brutal. Like you hear those slaps echo in the wherever the heck they're wrestling. And it's just amazing. The lumbar check uh, and kick uh, near fall that Strong gets was kind of like that moment in the match where you're like, oh, Strong's not winning here. But it was just such a good near fall because I kind of like, oh, he kicked out. And that's what you're always looking to do in these matches. Like, even though this uh, pay-per-view is 16 years old, the fact that it gets a reaction out of me today as someone that, you know, didn't watch it but kind of knows the results, that's what that's a symbol of a really good match. And this was a very fun work match between two guys that are good technical wrestlers. Yeah. And you're talking about this match was 16 years ago and you can still catch Roddy every week on NXT and he's still every bit as fucking good, if not better today. I mean, he's he is so, so good. He's so freaking good. Um, yeah. It, like this is just a really good match. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned it and it does remind you a little bit of, it's not the same, but yeah, I mean, the ECW show we watched a few months, uh, a, a couple weeks ago where they, you know, just bring in a few guys from Michinoku Pro and say, hey, you know, let's let's get a couple Michinoku, uh, Michinoku Pro guys in there and let them have a good match, right? It's like, you know, it's not necessarily existing in any sort of storyline. It doesn't have stakes in that sense, but it's like, hey, we'll feature a couple guys from a different promotion. Give us a couple of your good guys. We'll give them a cool, we'll give them a, a spotlight and let them have a banger. And everyone has fun and everyone makes money. Uh, and I think that's great. Like, I think that's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the match we get uh, is it's a very, very good match. And I, I recommend it highly. I can't wait for the day that David is in a showcase match for whatever company comes after yeah. AEW. <laughs> yeah. For whatever indie I'm working for that averages 10 people a show. It's like, it's going to be like, like GCW is going to have, uh, a showcase for like world domination wrestling, and David's going to be on it. <laughs> hey, and, uh, hey, and if ten people are there, David, just know that means at least twenty percent of the fans that are there are there to see you. I'm getting, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm getting a cut off the uh, the gate for that ten people. <laughs> whenever I hand them, whenever I hand them my six dollars for my ticket, I'm going to say. I want two dollars of that to go to David. After the show, the promoter walks up to me, gives me a handshake, and there he, he hands me three dimes. <laughs> Here's your cut, asshole. <laughs> yep, that's it. Guy in the back. Uh, I only got a dime. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I'll have then I'll have people uh, cutting promos on me, like the like all these like uh, was it the NXT promo about like uh, the NXT two point guys. Was it Grayson Waller had the line about like hot dogs and handshakes? It's like, fuck you. I didn't even get a hot dog, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but good match right here between uh, Roddy and uh, Austin Aries. So next up, here's a, here's an appearance that I didn't expect. The backstage interviewer. This has got to be his third or fourth straight appearance on the show is the franchise Shane Douglas. Um, and he's not wrestling tonight, but he is the backstage interviewer on the show. Did not remember him being involved in TNA at this time. He is uh, interviewing one of my favorite fucking guys of all time. Uh, the alpha male Monty Brown. Uh, and Monty Brown is in a uh, tag team match coming up 
uh, he is teaming with uh, Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn, uh, who at the time, because of copyright reasons, was going by uh, Kip James, which is his, uh, I mean, his real first name is Kip. Um, he was going by Kip James. Um, and they're, you know, doing a thing where Monty Brown and Billy Gunn are a tag team, but they're starting to, you know, have some issues and argue. And for some reason, uh, uh, Billy Gunn is, you know, stuck up about the fact that, uh, Monty Brown is feuding, is starting to feud with Jeff Jarrett. Uh, and he says that, you know, Monty Brown needs to apologize to, uh, he needs to apologize to Jeff Jarrett. Um, which is like, I don't, I don't know why, uh, Billy ass is kissing up so much to Jeff Jarrett, but, uh, and, and then at some point, at one point in this promo, Billy ass calls himself quote, one of the most decorated wrestling stars of all time. Um, and then at the end, Monty Brown says tonight, everyone is going to feel the pounce period. Love Bill. Uh, love Monty Brown. Uh, and yeah, we have this tag team match coming up next. It is the alpha male Monty Brown and uh, Billy Ass uh, taking on the team of, uh, and this is just, I think, just kind of a thrown together team right here. It is Apollo, who is a uh, big Puerto Rican guy. Apollo, not Cruz, just Apollo, who is accompanied by a Sonny Siaki, who is another just a guy from TNA, who in storyline. Uh, is walking around in a neck brace because he had been injured by uh, Monty Brown. Um, and they are teaming with uh, current AEW superstar Lance Archer, who is going by uh, his real name at the time, Lance Hoyt. Um, much skinnier, much lamer, uh, shittier version of himself. He's way cooler now than he was. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Look like uh, a failure of 2005 style. Yeah, I mean... I, the one thing I always remember about TNA Lance Hoyt is that he was in a tag team with uh, Jimmy Rave at one point where their gimmick was they p- walked out to the ring and played Guitar Hero guitars in the ring. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is uh, Monty Brown and Billy Ass taking on uh, Apollo and Lance Hoyt. And uh, yeah, Lance Hoyt, even back in 2005, he had the tramp stamp. So I, I wonder <laughs> when he got it, because uh, he was I, relatively young at this point. Well, he's 28 at this point, so I guess he had plenty of time to get the tramp stamp. Uh, but uh, Lance Hoyt gets you know, Lance Hoyt is a big freaking guy, as we know. Gets a lot of offense early on. Is really beating up both guys at once for a good part of the early part of this match. Apollo comes in. He chops Monty Brown a hundred times in a row. Uh, Monty gets a comeback. Uh, hits a few back suplexes on Hoyt. Apollo comes back in, hits a float over DDT on Monty Brown and hits a power slam on Billy Ass. Hits the uh, sky-high powerbomb, uh, the D'Lo Brown special on Monty Brown, but uh, Billy Gunn breaks up the pin, hits him with a fame-asser. Uh, Hoyt comes in. This was one of the standout spots. He hits a big boot and a big moonsault on uh, Billy Gunn. Very impressive for an enormous guy, which Lance Hoyt is. Um, we get the, uh, typical, uh, team, uh, that's having issues, miscommunication spot where, uh, Monty or Billy Gunn accidentally big boots Monty Brown on the apron. Apollo then comes back, super kicks him, but Billy Gunn kicks out. 
And then Monty Brown gets back into the ring. They're really not doing tags here at all. It was, it was weird. Cause like there was really no consideration given at all to the legal man. I don't think they announced it ever as a tornado tag, but it essentially was a tornado tag because yeah, like Apollo tries to pin Billy Gunn and Billy kicks out. And then Monty, Monty Brown gets back into the ring and then hits one of the greatest finishing moves of all time, the pounce, and then just pins Apollo. And he wins the match for him and uh, Billy Gunn. Uh, Monty Brown and Billy Gunn win in nine minutes and 58 seconds. You guys remember when Keith Lee would do the pounce? Ah. Stole it from Monty Brown, baby. Wait, did he really? Yeah, Monty Brown was the fucking guy who. who oh. I feel like I feel like uh, like Keith Lee doing that is a hundred percent a tribute to Monty Brown, huh. who was arguably the coolest wrestler in the world in two thousand five. <laughs> you had to have been there. He was probably the coolest wrestler in the world. I was gonna say <laughs> maybe I'm just misremembering, but yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, you had to be there. It's it, that's like an if you know you know type of. Thing. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what. Like uh, going back to the like. In between matches, uh, Shane Douglas interview. I enjoyed him as an interviewer, actually. I thought he brought, <laughs> thought he brought good energy. Uh, you liked him more as an interviewer than you did as a wrestler. I think I did. That's not a good thing. <laughs> not necessarily, but I appreciate Shane Douglas. Also, uh, Monty Brown was channeling some Ernest Miller with that jacket. The uh, Hey, do not compare Monty Brown to <laughs> Ernest the Cat Miller. Jesus, <laughs> Angelo. He wears a cool shirt. Get the fuck out of here. That's disgusting. Do not do not disrespect one of my one of my favorite fucking wrestlers by comparing him to Ernest Catmiller, please. But did you guys notice how over Lance was in this match? Like, yeah, Lance was, point was weirdly over. Yeah, like the entire crowd was chanting with him despite his horrible tramp stamp and just awful pants. Uh, he looks like he belongs in Nickelback. Uh, <laughs> the near fall on the super kick uh, by Apollo was a nice again one of those spots where I'm like, oh, he kicked out. I was kind of like, it, he gave a little pop for me. And then like, Monty getting the pin again. The flow was kind of weird without the tags, but again, you're looking for not trash when you come back to like these kind of matches. And this was definitely not trash. This was a very f- between forgettable and enjoyable match. Between forgettable and enjoyable, yeah, I think so. I think I think they were just doing like that very typical, uh, you know, one team has communication issues and they have to like fight through it, even though they weren't doing like the actual tags. So just another typical match. I don't really. And that's what I mean by forgettable. It's not like an insult to be forgettable. It's just like, hey, this is professional wrestling. It's being done well. And, you know, it's it's a I feel like I'm getting my time's worth out of it. It doesn't feel like, dear God, let this match end. It's just like, ah, I'm enjoying myself here. Yeah, sure. There's nothing wrong with it. Lance Hoyt has a couple pretty impressive spots for a big guy. Uh, Monty Brown hits the pounce and that's what you want to see out of a Monty Brown match because he had one of the coolest finishers. Uh, and when he would do it on a smaller guy, that smaller guy would fly 35 feet through the air and it looked amazing. Uh, not great. Not quite as good on Apollo, who is a big guy. He can't fly quite as far as, uh, as one of the X division guys would, but still, still fun, you know, still fun to see, uh, went on a huge, went down an enormous Monty Brown rabbit hole after uh, watching the show. <laughs> I just spent like a half hour watching Monty Brown videos. Uh, like I said, you know, he's a guy that not a lot of people really talk about nowadays, but if you know, you freaking know that Monty Brown was the shit. So, 
moving on from there, we have a, so we're coming on the first of three matches that involve the Team Canada stable in TNA at the time. Uh, we have a uh, backstage uh, interview segment featuring Team Canada getting ready in their Canadian dressing room. Team Canada, which includes uh, some notable names, uh, young Bobby Roode. Uh, we have uh, the Canadian Destroyer, uh, Petey Williams is about to be in action. And we have uh, Eric Young, who, uh, again, we mentioned, uh, surprised that this is the first time he's appeared on this show. Very different Eric Young character than the uh, like psycho Raider from Fallout guy that we have seen in wrestling the last few years. Uh, his whole thing in Team Canada at the time was he was like the idiot of the group that everyone made fun of. <laughs> um, he was like a comedy guy for years. He literally had like a Eugene gimmick at one point where the gimmick was he was mentally challenged. Like oh God. legitimately, oh no. that was legitimately Eric Young's gimmick for a while in TNA. Um, I'm not making that up. And it was just as bad as you might imagine. Um, but yeah, we get this promo with the Team Canada guys. Uh, Bobby Roode uh, made me laugh in his promo. He's got a match with Jeff Hardy coming up. He says, uh, charismatic enigma, my Canadian ass, and calls it a, quote, <laughs> half-baked nut job, which made me, I liked the, the term half-baked nut job. Uh, and he says that Jeff Hardy is next to be Canadianized. Great promo work from Bobby Roode on this one. Hats Canadianized. Off. Loved it. I actually legitimately really enjoyed this promo. My, <laughs> I also really enjoyed the next part. So the next match is a pretty good looking X Division match between Petey Williams and another TNA classic great wrestler, Chris Sabin. Um, Petey Williams is supposed to come out first and they play the wrong music. They accidentally play Abyss's music. Abyss is in the next uh, match after this, but they accidentally play Abyss's music. And like you see Petey Williams like standing at the top of the tunnel. He hasn't fully walked out yet. And he's like turned around. He's like gesturing. He like he is extremely confused. He has no idea <laughs> what the fuck is going on. Like, why are they playing Abyss's music? And then he just walks out to Abyss's music. So, which, like, him just gesticulating around in the tunnel was really funny. Um, and, yeah, he is taking on uh, Chris Sabin, a real TNA legend. Uh, very, very, another very, very good X Division match. Very fast-paced, high quality of work. Uh, Sabin is pretty over. We get a lot of hail Sabin chants from the crowd, which I really like. Um both guys do some uh, do some good moves. Uh, Saban uh, springs over the ropes into a springboard back elbow and then hits the drive-by apron drop kick that Roman Reigns does, goes for a dive, eats the guardrail, and Petey works him over, gets the heat for a lot of this match. Um, then uh, Saban comes back, hits him with 48 forearms in a row, hits a fisherman buster for a near fall. Petey uh, teases the Canadian Destroyer as... Uh, Great finishing move that I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit, a little bit more. Um, the front flip pile driver, which he never actually hits on this show, um, either in this match or in the run-in that he does later. Um, he ends up, Saban reverses it, but they end up rolling in, uh, rolling through. Petey locks in the national submission hold of Canada, the sharpshooter. But uh, Saban gets the rope. 
Um, Saban hits a tornado DDT. Uh, Petey comes back with the wheelbarrow face buster back into the sharpshooter, but Saban gets out. Saban hits a razor's edge into the corner, uh, gets him up. He looks like he's about to hit his finishing move, the cradle shock. Uh, Petey goes for the eyes, scrat, like, you know, rakes the eyes to get out of the move. Uh, Saban is selling like he's, you know, he can't see for a little bit. Petey slips out, pushes the ref into Saban. Saban, who's selling like he can't see, gets the ref up onto his shoulders, look like he's about to hit the cradle shock, thinking that he's Petey Williams because he can't see. But then, I guess because he realizes he felt uh, this guy wearing a shirt or something, he realizes, actually, no, this isn't uh, Petey Williams. This is the ref. Puts the ref down, then grabs Petey and hits the cradle shock and gets the pin. And Chris Saban wins a good match in 12 minutes and 34 seconds. Uh, David, I think you are incorrect on something you said. What? What would that be? Canadian Destroyer is not a pile driver. It is defined as a front flip pile driver, so that's what I'm calling it. What, listen, what is it, listen. What is it if it's not a pile driver? If Vince, if Vince McMahon doesn't think it's a pile driver, it's not a pile driver. That is true. That you is can't do pile. You know how I know it's not a pile driver because guys can do it in WWE. That was my favorite thing that like came out when like I think it was Rey Mysterio started doing the pile driver. Yeah, yeah or the the Canadian Destroyer, and it was like, yo, he's doing a pile driver. It was like like the news article came out that Vince didn't realize it was a pile driver. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> didn't Kevin Owens hit like a package pile driver sometime within like the last two years? I don't think he has. Has he? You know, he teased it in the uh, in the War Games match, didn't he? Yes. Okay. Yes. Did he, he hit did. it? He might have hit it. Actually, I don't think he hit it, but I think he got him up for it, and then it got like interrupted. It got interrupted. I think. yeah. Yeah, because it always would blue ball me so hard back, like his early run when he would get them up in position for the pile driver and then just turn it into a slam. It's like fuck off, dude. Just do the move. <laughs> this was a match that was definitely helped out by today, just telling the history between Petey and Saban because there's a lot of it, and you kind of it makes the match more understanding because it's it seems like it's two rivals really going at it. it's a different. It hits different notes than Strong and Aries. I, I thought the finish was really good too. The destroyer into the cradle shot, really nice because they were talking about. Uh, Tanae was talking about the finishers constantly throughout the match. Uh, there's also like a drop. It, it's a kind of a throwaway spot, but it's a drop kick to the back. I think it was Petey. He jumped off the bat, uh, the turnbuckle backwards, and then into a drop kick. I just remembered that being in the Jericho Storm one night stand match as well, where he just takes a drop kick straight to the back. So I'm not sure if that was like. Alluding to that, but you know, it's a fun, fast paced match between smaller guys that, again, this announced team does a great job at selling it as a rivalry. Yeah, I I thought, I thought this match was good, um, but I, I'm also like, I love Petey Williams for like no good reason. Like, I, I think it's just the Canadian Destroyer thing. I don't know. Like, I've just always been like, oh shit, it's Petey Williams right there. I don't yeah. know. Like, Little Petey Pump. I, I've always been kind of a mark for him. Well, I mean, that is that is the thing about Petey. It, it is the Canadian Destroyer. You know what I mean? Like It is, yeah. And, and no disrespect to Petey when I say this, because Petey is, uh, has always been a very good worker and still is to this day a very good wrestler. But, like, I feel like if it wasn't for the Canadian Destroyer, he would probably be, like, the 35th most memorable, like, junior heavyweight of, yeah. like, the last 20 years. You know, right. like... Out of all the X Division guys, he would not really stand out. 
but it was because he was the guy that did the Canadian destroyer. Like you always got excited to see him, especially back at this time when he was the only guy doing that move. And it was like, Holy shit. Look at this fucking move that this guy does. It's amazing. But you don't need a whole lot more than that. Like, like if you look at like, like early or like, like whenever I was a fan of wrestling as a kid, like, you know why I love Randy Orton? He did the RKO. Yeah, exactly. That's all you really need. Like, all Petey needed was the move. And then everything and, else, you, you can build around it. Yeah. And, like, that's why he, like, and, and that's why, like, you know, Petey Williams is going to be, you know, he, he has made his mark on wrestling because everyone fucking does the Canadian Destroyer now because it's such a cool move. And why is it called the Canadian Destroyer? Because it was Petey Williams' move. Yeah. See, I just and, I just always associate Petey Williams with uh, Big Papa Pump. Because my back, yeah. when I was like, in, in this time, like not this time frame, but a little bit later, my dad would throw on TNA every now and again. And I'd always see this little chihuahua looking dude next to Scott Steiner. And he's also equally jacked and just saying equally ridiculous things. I'm like, oh, that's where I remember Petey Williams from. Yeah. Yeah. A PD, uh, a Scott Steiner and uh, Petey Williams is one of like my all like it, big Papa and little Papa pump is like <laughs> little Petey pump. It's like one of my favorite duos of all time. Um, but yeah, I mean, Petey Williams, most note, very notably standing right next to Scott Steiner when Scott Steiner delivered the Steiner math promo. He's right there. Oh, now. Man. But I actually, um, you know, Again, we, we talked about the Canadian Destroyer. I thought this was interesting. Um, I actually, because, you know, Petey is credited as the guy who innovated the move. And, you know, it's called the Canadian Destroyer because it was Petey's move. Um, I went back and I wanted to, like, look up the origins of the move because I had heard different stories about how the move came to be. Like, there's some, I've, I've seen the story several times that it was, like, a botched sunset flip and, like, that just kind of turned into the move like accidentally. And apparently I, I found an interview with him from a few years ago that it turns out, according to him, he credited Chris Sabin with the idea for the move. Oh, sure. Hmm. Apparently, it. according to Petey, they had an, a match on an indie show in like 2003. So I think before these two guys were even in TNA yet and they were backstage putting together the match and Petey or, and, and Sabin said to him like, what if what if one of us did a like a flipping pile driver and they ended up not doing the move in the match, but like they had the idea. And then later on, like a few months later, Petey had a match with Matt Seidel and said to Seidel, hey, what if I did a flipping pile driver? And Matt Seidel, of course, is the dude that's like, yeah, I'll fucking take a flip. <laughs> I'll figure that shit out in midair. Yeah. And then from then on, it was his move. But. Uh, as like kind of the coda to that story, according to Petey, he later found out from that the first guy to do that move, like apparently Amazing Red was doing it in his backyard in like the 90s. Oh, uh, of fucking course he was. And like, according to Petey, he has seen like grainy like VHS videos of like a 16 year old Amazing Red doing the Canadian Destroyer in like 1996. Because of course, awesome. of course, Amazing Red invented the yeah no so, wrestling move has ever truly been invented they are all derivative <laughs> they were all they were all invented by amazing red 
Lou says invented every move. You're just doing a variation of it. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, shout out to Amazing Red. But I just thought that was a, uh, a an interesting story considering, yeah, we have Petey versus Saban here on the show. And according to Petey, it was Chris Saban who thought up the idea of the, gave him the idea of the Canadian Destroyer that basically made his career. So thought that was uh, an interesting story. Um, afterwards, we get a run-in from a guy named Matt Bentley, who was another X Division guy at the time. Um, Matt Bentley, most notable for being Shawn Michaels' cousin. And that was kind of his gimmick for a long time, was that he was Shawn Michaels' cousin. God, I hate whenever they have gimmicks like that. That shit is so dumb. He actually, I thought this was a, a funny story. Um, his like early TNA run, Matt Bentley went by the name Michael Shane, to like, kind of oh, wait, wait, like wait. Why, like, why do I remember that name? I don't, I mean, I don't know. Uh, but like, <laughs> he went by the name Michael Shane. Um, and then like, they ended, like, WWE ended up trademarking the name, uh, for like a different person, and then he couldn't use the name Michael Shane. Anymore. Oh my god, <laughs> he went back to the name Matt Bentley, which is his real name. That's some, that's some uh, real petty shit. But Matt Bentley uh, comes in. He super kicks Chris Saban. He cuts a promo where he says, you know, a lot of people thought that I was bound to head up north to WWE. And I could tell you that nobody thought that. Um, at the time. But uh, he says, but TNA is my home. And the only place I'm bound for is bound for glory. Oh. And he says, let's have an ultimate X match at uh, Bound for Glory. And then he super kicks Petey Williams and he leaves. So Matt Bentley showing up on the show. Uh, next up, we have a match uh, between one of my favorite, uh, you know, a real TNA original legend, uh, one of my favorite uh, monster type wrestlers really ever. Raven. Sabu. We have Abyss on the show. Oh. Uh, and I have to say, Abyss's theme song is the best theme song TNA ever did, in my opinion. Oh, easy. Easy. Um, and he is taking on Sabu, ECW legend. Um, Abyss comes out with his manager, Father James Mitchell. And James Mitchell cuts a promo where he says, you know what, Sabu, you're hardcore. Let's do it your way. Let's make this a no DQ match. And the lights go out. Sabu appears in the ring. We ring the bell and it is on. We're doing a no DQ match. Uh, so this is, you know, uh, a lot of stuff happens in this match. Um, some table spots, some different weapon spots. Um, we have this one thing that made me cringe. The table spot on the outside a little bit scared me. Mm. So oh, yeah, they're setting up a table. Sabu is trying to set up a table and he can't get one of the legs to stay up. So he just sets it up like diagonal, like one of the legs up and the other one just on the ground. So the, the table is at a diagonal angle outside the ring. Then Abyss sets up another table next to this, you know, slanted table that's not actually set up. Um, then Abyss, then belly to belly suplex him over the top rope onto these two tables. One of them breaks, but the other one that isn't set up all the way just doesn't really move. And I just feel like with like the different angles of like the table sticking up 
and like one of them breaking and the other one not breaking, that could have been very dangerous. I oh, think. easy. Uh, and they just got to just do it anyway. Um, and I guess Sabu was okay. He gets up fine and does the rest of the match. Um, we do more table spots in the ring. We do a bunch of chair spots, obviously, with Sabu. Um, Abyss sets up a table in the ring. Sabu hits him with the Arabian face buster off the top rope through the table. And it's like Abyss is technically taking the move, but Sabu is the one who goes through the table, basically. Um, like Abyss does not go through this table at all. Um, uh, he goes for the pin, but Father James Mitchell puts Abyss's foot on the bottom rope. Um, ends up, uh, Father James Mitchell distracts Sabu and then uh, Abyss gets him up and hits him with a torture rack into the backbreaker. Abyss pulls out the uh, bag of thumbtacks that he used to use all the time. He lays the thumbtacks all across the ring. He wants to choke slam him uh, onto the tacks. Then he goes for a power bomb. Sabu gets out of it. Um, and then this was fucking nasty, this finish. Um, Sabu tries to do a springboard move. And then Abyss catches him out of midair into his finishing move, the black hole slam down straight, boom, into the fucking thumbtacks at maximum velocity. Sabu with his bare back, all the tacks jammed into his back and Abyss gets the pin and wins the match in 11 minutes and 30 seconds. It's kind of like your typical, like, you know, it's a no DQ match, whatever. You get a lot of the, the chair spots you would expect with Sabu. You get some chair, you get some table stuff, whatever, fine. But then that finish, the fucking black hole slam into the thumbtacks is so emphatic. Like, that makes it memorable, at least to me. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, shit, when he hit that move. David, the first time I ever turned on a, T a, a TNA show or anything, I, this is the first guy I saw. So uh, he's still, like, who I associate with it. Same. I think the first time I actually had, T like, TNA was ever on a TV screen in front of me. Abyss was climbing out of the bottom of the ring. Like he was climbing through the ring, doing that monster spot and dragging someone down there. Cause he's just a cemented dude. Uh, David, when are you taking a thumbtack spot? <laughs> How about fucking never in my life? <laughs> uh, no, this was like a, again, these matches are always hard to like grade Cause they're usually pretty slow and they really rely on every spot that they're going to do. Like, you have to build up to these different, like, spots. Like, the table spot that was really scary for Sabu, but looked really cool if it had been set up properly. Uh, like, the, that's one of those spots that, like, make you remember the match. The thumbtack spot, obviously, is, like, a great punctuation on it. Uh, it's it's really – it was and I'll say this. For a bigger guy and Sabu, who's very hit and miss with me, this, this worked. This was a serviceable match. Abyss is just, again, really cool. James Mitchell – who I've I know who he is. I've seen him like on like different TNA spots. Uh, I saw him on the Chris Canyon Dark Side of the Ring because he was featured heavily in that. Uh, and he's just this really interesting character. And the fact that like I've never heard him actually cut a promo and the promo that he cut, I'm like it has me wanting to see James Mitchell versus Paul Heyman on the mic. Like that just seems like it would be a really cool matchup of different styles. Uh, over, again, good hardcore match. I hate when they do the rope break in a hardcore match. Makes no sense. Ropes break shouldn't be a thing in a hardcore match. It shouldn't break up the pin. Shouldn't break up a submission. And yeah, the black hole slam is just... It's brutal without the thumbtacks looking-wise, but then you add the thumbtacks into it. It's just... Mwah. So I, I was thinking some, some more about Abyss, and like 
like I, I'm going to make a comparison, but I'm not comparing the two. I'm just kind of comparing the roles. I think every wrestling promotion has to have a monster. And by monster, I don't mean like, like a Lance Archer type. I mean a Bray Wyatt, an Undertaker, something like that. You have to have that like attraction guy that is always an attraction no matter what. And I think Abyss was that for TNA. Like he was that guy that you could just throw on a show and people were like, oh man, he's going to do some brutal shit, isn't he? And then you watch it to see that. And that's what he did. Um, there's also not a guy like that in any promotion right now. Right. right. So unique. Per- so entirely unique. In fact, the only person I think that's really doing that gimmick right now, and she's not even on TV much, is Abaddon. Yeah. Uh, wasn't there another one doing something similar to hers? Like another woman? Or maybe it was her. I don't know. Was she on AEW one time? Yes. Yeah, Abaddon? Yeah. yeah. Red hair zombie chick. Yeah. Oh, man. that is, I forgot about that. That gimmick is actually really cool. She legit like scares the yeah, shit it, out of it me. It creeps me out every know, time she's on TV. Which is how you know she's good, because she legit scares the shit out of me. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. But, yeah, no, Abyss was, was definitely good in that role, and, like, he was a huge guy. He had a distinctive look. I thought, you know, he, he had some cool, unique moves. I always have loved the Black Hole Slam. Thought he had a great theme song. Like I thought he was just an all around like good in that type of role type of guy, and is one of those guys where uh, when you when you think about TNA, you think about Abyss. He's just one of those guys that he was there forever. Uh, was always pretty much you know a fixture, um, and yeah, like. You know, big shout out to Abyss, dude. Fucking owned. Where's he at now? Is he still alive? Remember, he, he was on WWE a while ago as a as AJ Styles data analyst. He works for WWE, I think, as a producer now. Um, good which, for him. Yeah, hope he's having it, a good time. Yeah, it, yeah, and I know he did like appear on WWE programming like once or twice. Uh, and which was weird. Like, yeah, it's it's so weird to see him on WWE. Because he was in TNA from like the beginning, yeah, and he was like just one of those guys that was like, like, I mean, Eric Young was kind of like this too. It was like he was there forever, and you sort of figured he would never leave. And then when he does, it's like insane. It's like I can't believe that Abyss does not work for TNA anymore. But you know, things change. Yeah awesome finish to this match like the the black hole slam into the thumbtacks so much fucking power in that finish so next up we're gonna get into this a little bit more but alex shelley is wrestling a ma- alex shelley one of my favorite wrestlers of all time is uh going to be in a tag team title match tonight for the nwa tag team championships he is supposed to be teaming with sean waltman better known as X-Pac, 123Kid, a few other names, WWE and WCW. Uh, but Sean Waltman isn't here. He fucking no-showed the pay-per-view. Just oh, shit. Show up. And we'll get into that a little bit more later on. But now they're, they're setting up the story. It's like, Alex Shelley's here. His tag team partner isn't. Like, legitimately just did not show up to the show. So I guess he's going to have to wrestle this match by himself. So we're setting that story up. Uh, next up, we have uh, this match. It is uh, Bobby Roode taking on Jeff Hardy, who I feel like a lot of people forget that he was in TNA at this time for a few years in between. He was first released from WWE 
And then he came back and they did the Hardy Boys reunion and then ended up, you know, winning the, you know, ended up having that big baby face run where he won the world title. In between, he was in TNA for a few years. Uh, he, he comes out, he is covered in a pink paint. And I don't want to make any suppositions. I know that Jeff was really struggling with, uh, you know, substance abuse during this time. He appeared to me to be zooted out of his fucking mind. Uh, like pretty much every time he did anything around this time, that's also what I thought. I'm glad it wasn't only me because it definitely seemed like he was sloppy. Yeah. I, again, I, you know, I, I I don't want to be like, I don't want to be supposing anything, but I just seemed like I was like, Oh man, you know, like Jeff wasn't in a great state at this time. So I don't know. Uh, cause this match is, I mean, it's, it could be worse, but Jeff, seems very sluggish throughout the whole thing. And also the timing is fucked up on almost everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like Bobby keeps expecting Jeff to be moving like 20% faster than he is. Yeah. He, he's beating him to a lot of spots. Yeah. And, and it's like, he gets there and he does ends up having to wait awkwardly for a second. while Jeff gets to what they're supposed to do next, which also sucks too, because they showed like the promo before where like Jeff Hardy debuted for TNA and he's and he had that super a, a crazy energy, high impact athleticism, and like he was just flowing through the ring. And then he comes out for the actual match itself, and it looks like he's just kind of wading through cement. Yeah, he's moving a lot closer to like today. what you see today, like old Jeff Hardy, where it's like you know he still does his stuff, but you can definitely tell like time has uh, has worn him down. But the problem is, this was 16 years ago, and he's still in his 20s in this match. Whereas now he's 44 years old, and you know he's been wrestling for, you know, almost 30 years at this point. Um, so yeah, it's it's not great. It's 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 a weird showing by Jeff, honestly. Um, Bobby Roode gets the heat for a long time. Um, you know, I. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it's Team Canada. It's the kind of anti-American deal. At one point, he's beating him up, and then he just yells, USA sucks, uh, which I, I laughed at. Very, very uh, sweet and to-the-point trash talk from Bobby Roode. Um, then, yeah, Jeff gets his comeback, hits some of his moves, hit that spinning back kick. He hits the whisper in the wind, very ponderously spins into a flatliner on uh, Bobby Roode. Goes up to the top rope, about to hit the Swanton. Petey Williams makes a run in, uh, hooks his leg while he's on the top rope with a great, a great weapon, a hockey stick that has uh, on the handle a Canadian flag on it. Uh, perfect, perfect branding for Team Canada. He hooks his leg with the hockey stick, uh, and that allows uh, Bobby Roode to get up into the belly of belly superplex. Petey distracts the ref. Um, Rude tries to take a swing at him with the hockey stick. Jeff ducks, hits the twist of fate, but uh, Bobby Rude rolls out of the ring before he can get the pin. Uh, Jeff then does a dive out of the ring onto both Petey and Bobby Rude. And then at the end of this match, we get a run-in from who else but Jeff motherfucking Jarrett shows up. He, with the referee turned around, hits Jeff a couple times with the hockey stick um, while, while Jeff is on the outside. Then he rolls Jeff into the ring and Bobby Roode gets the pin straight off of this and wins the match in nine minutes and seven seconds. 
we kind of talked about it already, but this is one of the two matches I have on the night that I have a negative feeling for. And most of it is from the fact that Jeff just does not look into it. Uh, let's talk about Rude, though. Is Rude's only real single run of note as NXT champ, or did he have a run in TNA? He had oh, a, no, no, he had a big run in, 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 in TNA. Yeah, he had a big... I mean, he was definitely, like, a tag team guy for a long time, but, like, he had a very, very strong run as a singles guy. Uh, like, early 2010s, he was the champion yeah. for a while. Yeah, he had a strong run. Right before NXT. Yeah, and, yeah, sure. And again, I'll say this for Rude here. When he had that ent- the glorious Bobby Rude entrance back in NXT when he came up to the main roster... Uh, you could have told me that guy was a main eventer and just like saved him easy. from main events. And I would have believed it. Like the guy had the look. I didn't even need him to hear him cut a promo. And then you take it away from him. And then you keep keep pairing it with Dolph Ziggler, the constant yes man of WWE. And man, now whenever Bobby Roode gets on my TV, I'm just sad because there's just like between him and Dolph, there's just so much lost potential. And they're just essentially the tag team jobbers. Yeah. See, but listen, I have a, I have a hot take about Bobby Roode. And it's that he's actually not a great wrestler. I've always um, thought he was boring. I think he's I think he's good, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's good. I just always thought he was like like I, I think he's very Randy Orton-ish in his wrestling. That's who I was gonna about literally about to compare him to, yeah. He's it, like, like like he's got a formula that has worked for him for years, and baby, he's gonna get his money's worth. Yeah. He's got he he has a way that he wrestles. Um he's good at it. Everything he does is technically is technically correct. Like he's able to go out there and have a good match pretty much every time. Like he's very consistent. You don't see a lot of stinkers from him. And if you do see any bad match, it's like it's like not on him. You know, like like this match being awkward and not really working, it's not on Bobby Root. You know, he does everything. Right. Um, but he's also one of those guys that like had everything right beyond the wrestling part. I mean, like. You know, really good promo. Dude is ripped to fucking shreds. Yeah, have a um, look. You know, uh, had the incredible fucking entrance in WWE that they then got rid of. Like, just seemed like a guy that, you know, has always been, like, a guy who ticks a lot of boxes, you know. But it doesn't seem like WWE has ever really seen him on that level for whatever reason. And, I mean, it took TNA a long time to put him in that spot themselves. I'll, so. I'll say this as a negative on Rude, and it's not really a true negative. I never thought, like, the character he cuts with promos matched up with how he presented himself, if that makes sense. Like, I think with Team Canada, it makes a little bit more sense, but he's a super intense guy. Every promo he has is very intense. It's not like this flashy, like, because his presentation is very Ric Flair-esque. It's very flashy. It's very much, like, fancy pomp and circumstance. And then he gets a promo. It's a very harsh promo. Not that's a bad one, but I just thought there there is that little bit of a disconnect between the promos he cuts and the, how he is presented when he walks out. He's like he's like if Ric Flair was trying to be a tough guy all the time instead of like, hey, I'm pretty, I have lots of sex. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe, Exa- exactly, Jake. Thank you for putting in the words. <laughs> you know what? That's you might not be wrong there. I, I I guess I kind of see that myself, but you know, sure, but. You know, Bobby Roode to me has always been a guy that ticked a lot of boxes. And I will say, I I would be remiss if I didn't shout out one half of one of my favorite tag teams of all time, Beer Money. Beer Money. (laughs) What a 
good motherfucking tag team they were. And like that was that was a great team because I think um like you know Bobby Roode is a good wrestler but James Storm was like more entertaining to watch in the ring. Yeah. Like they worked well off of each other as as like a, a as like an in-ring team where like some of the blandness of Bobby Roode just as a worker was very much offset by James Storm being fucking awesome. Right. Uh, so, yeah, a great tag team guy. Um, and, you know, in a singles match here, that's not that good, but it's not his fault. So, whatever. Um, next up, speaking of tag teams, we are getting Team Canada in a tag team match that doesn't involve Bobby Roode. Um so it is a four-way match for it's it's a four-way elimination match for the NWA tag team titles. This is still when TNA was using the NWA belts, which I really enjoyed that era. So this was supposed to be, as I mentioned before, Alex Shelley is one of is challenging as one of the uh, teams in this match. Uh, supposed to be teaming with Sean Waltman. Waltman no-showed. They didn't have time to uh, change the promo graphics, so Sean Waltman is still in all the graphics. And when Alex Shelley walks to the ring, the the graphic, like the nameplate graphic, still says Alex Shelley and Sean Waltman, even though Waltman isn't there. And the reason why it's really bad, I feel like, is so, again, this is for the tag team titles. Waltman and Shelley had... Um, earned this shot at the titles by winning the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament for in honor of Chris Candido, who we've mentioned before. Uh, he had, was uh, in a promo on our last ECW show we did. Longtime wrestler in ECW, wrestled in WWF, um, who had tragically earlier that year died it, due to health complications directly related to a broken leg that he had suffered wrestling for TNA that eventually through a series of circumstances led to his very untimely death. Um, So this is like in his memory and they had won the titles and for this match, they had invited some of Chris Candido's friends and family to be at ringside, you know, for this thing that is honoring him. Uh, His dad is there. His brother, Johnny Candido, who was also a wrestler at the time, uh, they're there at ringside. And Sean Waltman, who was on the team that won the Chris Candido Cup, fucking didn't show up. <laughs> like, come the fuck on, dude. Are you serious? Do we do we know why he didn't? Like, are you going to get to that? I, I, I don't know if I know the actual reason. It's just like, yeah, he was on a lot of drugs and just didn't fucking okay, show up. Okay, okay, okay. You know, like I, I, he was another guy that had like a lot of uh, like troubles at this time, gotcha. and by all accounts, I think is doing better, which good for him. Uh, at, like at this point now, but like, yeah, it was just uh, was not doing well, uh, and then just fucking didn't show up for this match. Which like it's one thing, but it's like when you're on the team that it's like. It is honoring this guy who died like a few like a few months before. Like that's that's a little bit you know it's kind of like hey fuck you Sean Walton man come on that's rough but yeah so we have Chris Candido's family and friends at ringside for this match. Alex Shelley is going to be on his own for this match. It is a four t 
team elimination match. Uh, it is Alex Shelley. We have the Team Canada team of Eric Young and A1, who is just a big, big guy. Uh, we have uh, the team of America's Most Wanted, one of the standout teams of TNA in this time, Cowboy James Storm and Wildcat Chris Harris. And the champions, uh, the Naturals, Andy Douglas and Chase Stevens, who are just two guys wearing bandanas. Uh, and they are managed by uh, the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. So it is, again, you know, we start this match uh, with Alex Shelley on the apron alone. He gets in this match, uh, but really most of the time, like he gets beaten up by Team Canada the whole time. Really weirdly, guy who was really weirdly over in this match, A1. Yes. Crowd was like chanting for A1. The, the commentary team constantly referred to him as the big man and just how big he was. Like you talk, like you said, you said he's a large dude. The commentary team <laughs> made sure we knew he was a large dude. Yes, he is a, a, a large, large fellow. But it's like, yeah, like he's literally just some guy, you know, like I don't think anyone really remembers A1, to be honest with you. But like he was weirdly over in this match. So I guess, you know, good for him. Has a good steak sauce. Yeah. Um, Shelly gets his ass kicked for a long time, and I thought it was very noticeable how uh, much Mike Tenay spends his whole match just shitting on Sean Waltman on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> he was absolutely slagging him off, as they say. And, you know, he, 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 was, he was justified in doing that. Um, but eventually, like, as, as Alex Shelley is getting his ass kicked, we mentioned Johnny Candido at ringside himself, uh, an indie wrestler, uh, didn't really ever achieve the notability that his brother did. But, you know, he himself was a wrestler. And at one point, Johnny Candido hops the guardrail and gets up on the apron. And he says, hey, Alex, tag me in. And so Alex tags in Johnny Candido, who then, I guess, becomes his official partner. They let Johnny Candido win this match. <laughs> he comes in. He gets a brief hot tag. Um, and then Eric Young low blows and then small packages him and he pins Johnny Candido. <laughs> Johnny Candido was in this match for about 45 seconds. And that means both him and Alex Shelley are eliminated. So we have our first elimination right there. Um, we then get Team Canada versus America's Most Wanted. Uh, again, it's Team Canada getting the heat on James Storm for a very, very long time. Uh Chris Harris gets the hot tag, gets cut off pretty quick. Uh, he hits a big delayed vertical suplex on A1 for a near fall, gets him up for another one. But as the ref is distracted, Eric Young breaks the hockey stick across Wildcat Chris Harris's back. And then A1 comes down, turns it into a cradle for the pin. And then America's Most Wanted are eliminated. So it comes down to Team Canada and the Naturals. The Naturals have not wrestled at all to this point. They have literally not done a single thing. And now here they are, the champions, finding themselves in the final two. Uh, so naturally, since they are rested, they come out very hot. Uh, but eventually, uh, the Team Canada takes the advantage and gets the heat again for a long time, beating up Andy Douglas who uh, it took me a while to remember which one was which, I'll be honest with you. Um, eventually, he gets the hot tag to Chase Stevens. Uh, Stevens hits an Alabama slam on EY, uh, goes to the pin, A1 breaks it up. A1 power bombs him, 
Uh, Eric Young gets a superplex on Douglas. They go up and they are about to hit a doomsday device type move. But Jimmy Hart pushes Eric Young off the top rope and the Naturals hit their finishing move, the Natural Disaster on A1. And they retain the belts. The Naturals still the champs. 18 minutes and one second. This was like, I, I, I like elimination tags. I actually really do. But sometimes they just, they're a lot. I, I don't know. I felt like this was a lot. And I don't mean like in an overbooked kind of way. Just, I don't know. I don't really know how else to describe it. I just felt like a lot happened. Like the Candido thing. I can't decide if that was cool or corny. Like, get, what do you I'm guys giving, think? I'm giving him props for it. For like, I can't imagine anyone talked to him ahead of time. So that had to have been planned in the moment. At some point, I don't know how they could have gotten that across, but you know what? I'm going to give him credit for it. It's, it is corny, but you have to give the guy credit. Like for, it, it makes for a good story. Hell, it makes them like the de facto baby faces. And I really was like hoping to see them in the match longer. I understand why they're not, but after they got out, I'm like, yeah, all right. Who are the faces here? Like I, I, there's no one. Maybe that, that's what it is. There's no one that I really wanted to root for. Like America's Most Wanted seemed cool, but I, you know, don't really have a lot to them in the crowd. Like no, no one in the crowd really kind of reacted either, outside for a one. But Canada's clearly the heel team. Like they're a heel team, and the Naturals. I have no idea what their healer faces. When I see Jimmy Hart, I assume heels. But it seems like they were based on commentary supposed to be the faces. Yeah, if I remember correctly, they were baby faces. But it's also kind of like those are two just kind of forgettable guys, you know? Yeah. So I really didn't have a clue who to root for, nor do I really care after Shelley and Candido got eliminated. So I'm like, all right, cool. Here's a 18 minute tag match that. Frankly, I didn't give a shit about. And so this one is just, you know, it, it's there. And there's, again, it's not overbooked, but it, it was not a pleasure to watch. Yeah, I, I think the this match's biggest sin is like, so it's an elimination tag match, but it doesn't ever feel like a match between four teams. It, seem, it feels like a series of three separate Tag matches. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 I, that maybe that's what it is. It's like Team Canada wrestles like a gauntlet. Team. Yeah. Team Canada gets one faces one team and they get the heat for a while. And then the finish happens. Then Team Canada faces another team. They get the heat for a while and then the finish happens. And then Team Canada faces the last team. They get the heat for a while and then the finish happens. You know, like it happens three separate ways. Like again, the Naturals don't ever get into the match until the end when they're in the final two teams. Yeah. Like, I just feel like that's a very, like, it, it doesn't ever feel like a match between four teams. It just is, you know, it, 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 and to that point, it just doesn't end up achieving any real kind of flow, you know, like it's just, it, it's just, it's not like, I feel like multi-tag team matches, you have a high uh, potential to have a lot of really fast paced stuff going on where you have a lot of people coming in and out doing stuff. You don't ever get that here. It's just two teams and then two, and then, you know, two more teams and then two more teams. And that's the end of the match. So it's, it's really not very fun to watch, to be honest with you. It just kind of gets very formulaic, very fast. If I didn't know any better, I thought I'd watch a WWE match. Really? No, Angelo. Anyway, 
Next up, we have the NWA World Heavyweight title on the line in a Ravens Rules match. Uh, it is Raven, the champion, defending the title against a fellow ECW star, Rhino. Rhino had just recently come to TNA after his uh, first stint in WWE. He had uh, debuted and immediately been pushed pretty, pretty well by TNA. Um, Rhino is still, you know, like surprisingly young at this point. Like Rhino's always been a dude who like, even when he was young, he looked like he was in his late thirties. Um, <laughs> but he's still pretty, young. I think he was like still in his twenties here. Um, so this is still a relatively young Rhino. Uh, but I thought it was funny because uh, we have a Rhino promo segment before this where, and again, this is in 2005. He's just recently come over from WWE. He cuts like the same, like the chains are finally off and I can finally be myself and really show you with the fire that I have that every other guy that has been released from WWE in the last like 20 years has done. He does the same promo. Like, it's really funny how they all do the same, like the chains are off promo. Rhino does this in 2005. Uh, I want to know what like the first one of those ever was. I want to like go back to every single person who has ever been released from WWE or WWF and find the first ever chains are off promo from when they, the first time they go to another promotion. Was it probably Hulk? No, no way. <laughs> it's definitely before that. Um, but it's funny because it's like, yeah, like I think I just heard the same promo like two weeks ago from like uh, Jonah Rock, Bronson Reed when he showed up in TNA. <laughs> and it's like 16 years before they were still cutting this fucking promo. Um, but yeah, so we get I need a, Now I need, a, I need a ranking video ranking all of the now the chains are off promos of all time. Yeah. Number one. I mean, I think shift. that I think that Moxley gets a point for not just doing a, the chains are off promo, how he literally did like this <laughs> video is him getting out of prison <laughs> or escaping from prison. Yeah. And the first promo he does in the back is literally talking about a paradigm shift. Yeah, I think I, but I want to go back and see if I can do some deep research and find the first one of these to ever happen. Cause I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure I heard Shane Douglas do his in like ECW in 96 uh, he did like a chains are off promo. So I'm pretty sure it, it has to go back at least before that, but we'll see. Um, I might, I might fuck around and see if I can do that, but yeah, it's a Ravens rules match where according to Mike today, weapons are not only legal, they're encouraged. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a false count anywhere. Hardcore match. Raven comes out with a shopping cart full of weapons. throws a bunch into the ring. Everyone grabs one and we're on. Um, mostly for these kinds of matches. Yeah, we're going to get a ton of weapon spots. I want to see creative weapon use. I want to see people using weird shit as weapons. Uh, we get a little bit of that. Uh, Rhino uses nunchucks at one point. Um, Raven is in 2005 using the pizza cutter way before Nick Gage was doing it on TV. <laughs> um, and he uses the pizza cutter on Rhino. Rhino's was bleeding very early. Um, Rhino uses a beer keg as a weapon at one point. I like that one. That one's a unique one. You don't usually see a beer keg. The Beer City Brawler? Yeah, Beer City Bruiser does it. Bruiser. Um, but like 
you don't usually see anyone else do the beer keg as a weapon. So uh, hats off to Ryan. And that's, this is way before Bruiser. So, um, yeah. Uh, Raven ends up bleeding too throughout this match. We get uh, staple gun usage in this match. Um, bunch of chair spots, people getting DDT'd into a chair, trying to dive onto chairs, a bunch of stuff. We get uh, one spot where is every time Raven, they did it in ECW and WCW and WWF and now in TNA, they have the same gimmick where Raven has uh, a bunch of followers. One of his followers, uh, this guy Cassidy Riley, uh, makes a run in to try and help Raven, but accidentally uh, inadvertently distracts the referee when uh, Raven has the match one, he hits the, uh, his, his DDT finisher and has Rhino pinned, but the ref is trying to deal with Cassidy Riley and Rhino is eventually able to kick out. Um, Raven power bombs Rhino through a ladder for a near fall. The ladder breaks. Um, and then Rhino comes back and teeter totters the ladder through the ropes uh, into Raven's face and gets a near fall. Rhino brings the shopping cart itself that Raven brought the weapons to the ring in, brings that into the ring. And then, uh, like, <laughs> like you sometimes see in those like really stupid DDT hardcore matches where it's like, uh, like it, some people, sometimes people get rid, uh, like, like get ridden over by bicycles and stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I've sent you guys some videos like that. Um, like, he sets up Rhino in the corner and then Raven wheels the <laughs> wheels, the shopping cart into his nutsack, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. I was dying when I saw it. Cause it's such a DDT spot. Um, and then he dropped toes, drop, drop toe holds Rhino into the cart. We get another at this point, a second Jeff Jarrett run. Uh, and he's going to get involved in this match, but then uh, he wants to hit him with the belt. But Jeff Hardy runs in, takes the belt away from Jarrett. Uh, then Raven hits the DDT on Jarrett, then turns around and hits the DDT on Rhino. And Raven gets the pin and retains the belt in 14 minutes and 28 seconds. Now hear me out. If you squint, Rhino kind of looks like a chunky Roman Reigns. Um... <laughs> I don't know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I have to look up a picture of him again just to... You have to squint. It's it, like, it, do they look exactly like each other? No, but like the long, the wet hair, how jacked they both are, the broad shoulder. I don't know. That was like... Okay, well, I just looked up Rhino 2005 and I'm getting Yamaha Rhinos. <laughs> like the side by side. I bet those are sick. Though. Yeah, those look like Roman Reigns too. But I actually really enjoy the fact that we have the NWA title uh, titles on here just because, like, you kind of get that fact that, hey, wrestling is a living, breathing thing. Like, it's not just after years of just maybe watching only WWE product and WWE kind of making it. They're the only guy on the block. It's interesting. It's always nice to see, like, that cross-promotional stuff. And, like, this is exactly what you want from a hardcore match. It's a lot of different spots. It uses interesting weapons. Isn't necessarily the best work match, no. But like they do, uh, they hit a lot of notes. They do a lot of usually a lot of cool things. You get the blood, and you get a lot of high impact stuff. And that's what that's essentially all you want. And they do tell a pretty good story throughout the match. And yeah, we just we absolutely need Jeff Jarrett here. You this match wouldn't have been complete 
without Jeff Jarrett. Um, yeah. Also, question for you. Do you think they paid for that shopping cart or they just steal it from uh, some grocery store? Oh, they definitely stole that. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. A hundred percent. They 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 rolled up. They rolled it to a Publix right before that and <laughs> yanked that shopping cart. Also, another rope break in a no DQ match. Stupidest thing ever. Here's the thing with the rope break and the DQ match for me. On a pin, I think it's fine because you have to think of the rope break, like getting the rope, not as like, oh, like. It's, it's not like, yes, if you are in a submission hold and a guy gets the rope and then the referee counts five, and you don't let it go. He gets disqualified. But like in a pin attempt, getting the rope is essentially the same thing as kicking out. But like, yes, it involves the rope, but it still counts essentially the same thing as a kick out. You know, it's not there's no disqualification involved in any way. It's just he kicked out. By getting to the rope, okay. he invalidated the pin. I still don't like it, but that is a good argument for it. I will say that is that. the way I look at it. I think it's you have to look at that rope break as fundamentally different from a rope break in a submission hole because there is no disqualification at stake here. I will see that, and I still don't like it. But like, I I can at least understand that rationale. Hey, while you guys were talking, I looked up Rhino. Do you guys know what his middle name is? Kyle. What? So his name is Terrence Garen, and his middle name is Guido. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm looking like the picture they have from a Wikipedia. He's wearing the "I'm with Heat" shirt. Uh, so just an all-around powerful performance by my guy Rhino. Yeah, no, I don't see the Roman Reigns thing. Like Sorry, a wide Roman, like a uh, wide Kylo Ren, like a <laughs> wide Roman, wide Roman. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't see it at all either myself that's fine it's an angelo thing you want to understand i don't want to understand angelo i'm sorry but yeah no i mean this is a like like i said you know i feel like we've all seen a lot of hardcore matches that are filled with weapons like the whole point is the weapons and so like you know i've i'm a i'm a jaded motherfucker right i've seen a lot of chair spots i've seen a lot of table spots you know, a lot of times that stuff, like, it's got to be really fucking crazy for me to, like, you know, for it to really pop me at this point. So, like, I want to see unique shit. I want to see them use weird shit as uh, weapons. I want to see people do things. In- Railroad spikes. I was I was literally thinking about that. I know. Like, the Pentagon Jr. Uh, Sammy Callahan. Uh, yeah, Sammy Callahan match where they're using railroad spikes. And I was like, damn, these guys are really thinking here. You know, they are being really creative because like at a certain point, yeah, you know, we've we've done the chairs, we've done all the ladders and tables and stuff. And like, yeah, you can do things in some cool ways to get a pop, but it's like, you know, what what are we doing here that's gonna be unique? Um, I wanna see people really be creative and think of some some crazy shit. And you know, I do think we have some interesting stuff here. So I'll grant that. You know, I think it was all right. So. I'll be honest. Uh, like, I was watching the Nick. Uh, I mentioned, I'll mention them again. Dark Side of the Ring. They Again, the great content is great. They drew the Nick Gage one. And they're showing some of the spots from those death matches. And I, the, light, the light bulb stuff just makes me cringe every single time. Like the and light tubes? The yeah. light tubes. 
Cringing I'm a big light tube guy. Ah, cringing not the right way. Because that, that stuff is just ugh. I I um I haven't watched the dark side of the ring. Um did they show the clip where he almost killed David Arquette? Uh, they showed the clip where he almost killed himself. Where he, oh. where he uh, gets the light tube into his arm and he has to clamp it down. He's wearing a white Chicago Bulls jersey and he tries to come back out and it's red. He, yeah. The the moment where he was legally dead in a helicopter for seven minutes. Yes. Yeah, that one's a great one. But like the David Arquette clip is fucking scary. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, don't seek that one out if you have a uh, a weak stomach for sure. Well, thanks for making me search it on YouTube now. Yeah, go for it, bud. All right. Well, main event time. It is time for the match. It is a a triple threat match for the X Division title with three of the world's best wrestlers, the single best possible match that TNA at this point in time or at any point in time in its history could do. Three-way title, three-way X Division title match. It is... The undefeated Samoan submission machine, Samoa Joe, the Mr. TNA, the phenomenal AJ Styles, and the champion, the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. Three of the very, very best in the world at this point in time, really all in their like athletic primes, and they're all fucking great. And this goes down in history um, at the time and still today as I think the undisputed greatest match in TNA history, probably by like a good margin as well. Um, So this match is just super fucking fast paced. There are a ton of moves, you know, five minutes into the match, uh, Tanae and Don West are just losing their freaking minds. The crowd is so hot for this the whole way through. It really is just, again, it is three guys in there. Three of the best wrestlers in the world. Three of the best wrestlers, really, of the 21st century, all at their athletic peak and doing just a fast-paced match for 20-plus minutes and leaving it all out there. And Like, like, Kenny, there. like Kenny Omega fast. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it is, it is a warp-speed match. You know, the kind of match that, like, yeah, you know, it, it would it – would, nuke pwg today but it's happening in 2005 you know like this is such an outlier from everything else you would have seen uh on tv in 2005 in wrestling um yeah we get just a ton of cool moves uh daniels hits the split split like a moonsault to the outside on a joe and then aj appears and hits a springboard shooting star press to the outside on both of them uh, we get Daniel's monkey flipping styles into the air and he flips in the air and then turns it into a hurricane Rana on Samoa Joe, uh, very loud TNA chance from the crowd after that. Um, Joe catches Christopher Daniels in the coquina clutch submission hold, but then AJ breaks stuff by going up to the top rope and hitting the spiral tap, uh, which I, I mentioned to you guys earlier, I remember watching this match for the first time when I was in middle school and thinking the spiral tap was the most insane fucking thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and years later, yeah, it's still fucking crazy. It's still, it's still an awesome move. Um, Joe is beating the shit out of these guys. This is Joe in his prime where he was just like a truly anomalous man. 
Um, and his strikes are amazing in this match. He just looks like he's beating the shit out of everybody, probably because he is. Um, Daniels comes back, hits a Death Valley driver on Joe. Uh, and one of my favorite move, my probably my favorite moment of this match. Uh, AJ and Daniels are going back and forth, doing a bunch of flips at each other in reversal on the outside. And then Joe appears out of nowhere. And it's like, these guys are doing these flips to each other. And they're like trying to, you know, they're like kind of reversing each other. And then in the background, you see Joe get up and start to run towards them. And it's like, it's like two guys standing on the uh, train tracks. And then they realize too late that there is a train. The train behind them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then Joe rumbles in and does this like twisting dive over the top rope and just destroys both of them. It's, it's probably my favorite moment of the match. Uh, big, a holy shit chance from the crowd. Joe and AJ back in the ring. Joe is slapping the shit out of him. He hits him with a huge German suplex, very high angle, gets him up, hits the muscle buster, doesn't go for the pin. He wants to go for the uh, coquina clutch, but then Daniels grabs the belt, uh, tries to get in there. Tries to swing the uh, belt at him, uh, misses, hits a power, eats a power slam from Joe, but then ends up uh, hitting a like a a, a Gamangiri kick into the belt uh, into Joe's head that takes Joe out. Hits a blue thunder bomb, uh, an Uranagi, and the best moonsault ever in all in a row on AJ. But Joe breaks up the pin. Um, AJ comes back. He hits a. Uh, uh, or Daniels hits a uh, crossroads on Joe that gets Joe out of the ring. AJ comes back with his like uh, moonsault reverse DDT uh, for a big near fall. Um, we have Joe then comes back in after uh, Daniels hits a superplex. Joe tries to crawl in and cover both guys, but they kick out. Uh, AJ comes back, hits him with the Pele kick. AJ, who is much smaller than Joe, Joe is. Build at 280, I think. And I don't know if he was quite 280, but he was a big fucking guy. AJ gets him up and he racks him. He puts him in the torture rack and then spins him out into a slam. It looked freaking awesome. Uh, but he kicks out. Uh, AJ hits the Styles Clash on Daniels. We're coming towards the end of the match. Hits the Styles Clash on Daniels. Joe breaks up the pin. But then Joe gets sent through the ropes to the outside. He's taken out. It comes down to Daniels and AJ Styles. And the finish of the match comes. Daniels goes for his finishing move, the Angel's Wings, but AJ bridges out of it into a jackknife pin, and AJ Styles gets the pin and wins the match and wins the title. 22 minutes and 50 seconds in what is, still to this day, the only TNA match ever rated five stars by the uh, Wrestling Observer. Now this is my shit. Wow. This is so good. This is what I'm here for. Like, I sat through the rest of it because whatever. I'll talk about Abyss. I'll talk about that. This match whips. Oh, my God. Like, it, like, they, like I said, they started at a Kenny Omega pace, and it feels like from five minutes on, you're like, all right, well, the match could end at literally any moment now. And then it yeah. just keeps going and keeps going. Just it, crazy shit constantly. Yeah. It, you're right. It really does feel like at any moment the finish could happen. And it's not just like, yes, it is 22 minutes and 50 seconds, blindingly fast paced, ton of spots and everything. But like everything flows into it's like yes. everything flows so well Insane. and everything builds upon what just happened before it. No, nothing's like, forced. Yeah. 
it's absolutely masterfully put together and everything is executed perfectly and it has every single fucking oh shit moment that you could want. Yeah, to shove all that into a 22, like 23 minute match and not have a single moment where it looks clunky, where it just kind of lulls, where there's like you're looking to get guys set up, that they're trying to reposition on the mat. No, it just goes. It, it continues. They pace it out perfectly in the ring. Yeah. Every spot there just makes you mark out. I have two things from Styles that are all in caps. The shooting star press, uh, the springboard shooting star press is still just that's a that's a broken neck for maybe ninety percent of anybody, even wrestlers. And sure is for me. <laughs> Styles, Styles just does it with ease, and also putting Joe in the rack like Styles is a small man. Oof. And it just it, the visual on that just makes you it pops right off the bat. Uh, it, it, uh, and all these guys have unique things to them. You have Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels, the champion, the guy who wants to hold on to his title. You have the unbeatable monster Samoa Joe. You have Styles, who's kind of in that weird spot of like wily veteran, but he's a wily young guy who just is like synonymous with the X Division title. And you have all these personalities coming to the match, and it's just they play off of each other so perfectly, and they fill their roles so perfectly. And and the story that gets told between those three characters is told just in, in the best way possible, deserving of this five-star rating. You can't say enough good things about it. And thank God uh, TNA has put this up on the YouTube. Like, you could just go on YouTube and watch this match. And I yeah. very much highly, I've done it a few times. <laughs> highly oh, encourage. Many times. Yeah. The, the only bad thing about this match is the four by three ratio. Other than that, it just goes. <laughs> Listen, yeah. if we're talking about camera specs as we talk about the bad things of a match, we've done pretty well. Yeah. Other, like, like you could say that every WWE match has great production because it's all shot in HD. Yeah. <laughs> no, and yeah, I mean, again, yeah, if you're going to complain about the aspect ratio... <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, okay, well, listen yeah. David and I have had, have had to scour Chinese YouTube to find grainy handheld footage of like the Bola from 2009. Like, I will <laughs> gladly take a 4 3 aspect ratio. Yeah. No. And like, again, as, as Angelo, you kind of you mentioned, like, the thing about this match is like, yeah, like, all the spots are great. But it's like, like you said, there is not a single moment of like any hesitation or any awkwardness or like any bit of timing being like even a 10th of a second off, like everything just fucking flows perfectly for the entire match from the beginning to the end. It is fucking like they like, sometimes you see guys like, I remember watching like the Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson match in AEW. Um, and thinking like, yes, this match was phenomenal, like incredible match, but like, it felt like they could have had a better one. Like it, like, like it felt like they were holding something back a little bit and they could have a better one down the line. It was the free TV match. Like this is, this is a match where I don't think you can say that about. It's like, I feel like all three guys put on just like the performance of their fucking lives. And I do not envision a, a, a world where this match could have been better than it was. Like, I don't under, I cannot imagine this match being more perfect than it is in any way. Yeah, no, I'm with David. I don't, I don't see what makes this better. 
Yeah. And, and the finish, too. Like, uh, it has to be stated. The fact that the finish is just a simple Styles countering Daniels finisher into a bridging pin combination. Not a finisher, just a counter. Is just, I love when they are able to do that effectively. When a match ends without a finisher, again, we're so used to the trope and roll of roll-ups in WWE that they don't have meaning. But outside of that realm, where it's not used as a cheap ploy, where it's usually only ever used for narrative purposes, it's fantastic. And this is definitely one of the top, like, just counter-pin finishes that... I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, it's just so good. I I love the finish of this match. And again, it, it works well because, and I've said this before several times in this podcast, I'm very much a pro like roll up finisher type, like roll up or kind of, you know, pin combination finisher uh, in a big match like this. I'm very much pro that because at the end of the day, it puts everyone over like it, it especially after a match like this, where everyone puts on such a crazy performance and it's very clear, like in kayfabe, all three of these guys are really on the same level. They're all three of the best in the world. Like AJ gets the glory of winning the match, you know, because he caught Daniels in a move, but you know, like Daniels still looks strong. It's not like he, you know, ate the styles clash and got left laying in the middle of the ring. And it's a way for Joe to not win the match when he's undefeated and still very much like the, you know, Samoa Joe never having been pinned or submitted is like a big deal for him at this time. And it would be until, uh, if I remember correctly, Kurt Angle came in the next year and became the first guy to beat Joe. Um, Like you have a way of Joe not winning the match, but he's still protected because it's a three-way and he was not the one who got pinned. You know, I, I think it's like the perfect finish to this match. Speaking of Joe too, I just, this came to me as he walked out. I'm just thinking of the guys. Him and Taz have a lot of weird parallels between them as guys who made their name outside of WWE, submission ma- masters, just guys who are brutal in the ring. Like Taz had that look. Samoa Joe's got that submission look. And they're just both incredible guys in the ring. They just go. And both of their careers, although Joe had, was able to have a much longer career than Taz did, just derailed by injury. And it's just. Mm. And that's kind of like the parallel I come back to. There's submission guys who are fantastic when you get those matches, but because of injury, they, they it feels like they got robbed from us. Like there's still, I wish we still had Joe today and know that he had a match back in August, but he's already now back on the shelf. It just sucks that like he's a guy whose career got cut short because this guy should still be going for another five years at least with his style. He's just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, we definitely got a, a pretty great, career out of Joe when we got it. I mean, and and whether or not he, I mean, I I was very excited that he came back and was wrestling in NXT because I was very afraid we weren't going to see him again, but um, whether or not he, you know, this last injury is it for him. I don't know, but like, I personally feel like his WWE career was more derailed by the fact that they didn't put him over in the end. Because it felt like there were several different points where they could have put him over and had him win the title, and it would have been great. I know the and one that everyone would have loved of. it, and they just didn't fucking do it. Angela, which one? Which one are we all thinking of? Oh, Wendy! Oh, Wendy! <laughs> but also two. the one against Brock, the fucking great balls of fire. Yeah, should have won. Samoa Joe should have beaten Brock. It should. He should have done it. 
You know, everyone would have fucking believed it too because he was so great in that feud. And he's like, Samojo is one of those guys who can just like so easily come off like a badass at the level of Brock Lesnar just, you know, through like one promo. And like almost no one can do that. But no, they didn't fucking do it. They just didn't do it. So what are you going to, I mean, like, you know, whatever. But yeah, Samojo, one of the goats, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, one of the goats, AJ Styles, arguably the fucking goat. Because when you think about it, like, yeah, okay, this is 2005, right? This is 16 years ago. AJ is probably at his athletic peak. Um, And even just a couple years before that, like the the, the few years before that in TNA, really since the beginning of of his run there, um, he was like one of like the must-see guys. Like he was one of the reasons to tune. Like he was very clearly one of the best wrestlers in the world. I actually prefer short hair AJ too. I also do that too. I have it to my notes. Thank you, Jake. Agreed. Agreed. Um, But like it is now 20 years after he debuted in TNA and he is still one of the best fucking wrestlers in the world. He's still must-see like, TV. Yeah. Like, and how many people ever has that been true of over that long of a period of time? Mm. Maybe Flair. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe Jericho. But I don't know if at the same level, at least level as a worker is AJ. I don't. Who the fuck else? Who else? Randy, maybe Randy, but I don't. I, I don't think Randy. I would. I wouldn't put Randy on the same level as AJ as a worker. No. But so I, I don't know. I actually, you know what? I'm. I'm gonna hold back on that one because I think they just have completely different styles. Not to yes. make a pun. But like, I don't think that you would find anyone who would really consider Randy Orton on the same level as AJ as a worker. I mean, like, you're talking about like 20 years basically straight of AJ Styles being considered one of the best fucking workers on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, same time period, you could say that about Danielson too. Yeah. Because Danielson throughout this whole time also. But I mean, like, think about the fucking company that is, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like AJ is one of the greatest wrestlers who has ever existed on this planet. Um, and yeah, I, I, I called this match uh, before. I think I called this match at the top of the show. I called this match uh, last episode my favorite match of all time and i think it is my favorite match so is i've watched this match probably more than i've watched any wrestling match ever and this match like probably changed my life in some very real ways because i remember being a fucking you know wrestling fan you know when i was in like middle school you know i had just watched i i watched wwe and i liked that and just like going on youtube looking at trying to find like cool wrestling videos because i thought wrestling was cool and finding this match and not previously really having been aware of wrestling outside of WWE before. And like, I knew it existed, but kind of thought of it in like, you know, sports terms, like, well, WWE is like, you know, the NBA and, you know, everyone else is like other minor leagues. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you're really good, you're a WWE. And then watching this match and realizing that there are people this good outside of WWE and like wrestling not only exists, like there's wrestling that is, like not only does wrestling that's really fucking great exist out of WWE that wrestling in general can be this fucking good mm. glass it, shatters. It, it, it blew my fucking mind when I was like 13 or whatever, whenever, however old I was when I first watched this match, it blew my fucking brain out. And who the fuck knows if I don't see this match when I do like, 
do I become as big of a wrestling fan as I am? Do I have a fucking podcast with you two assholes? Do, do I like, am I like inspired to like want to become a wrestler myself? I have no fucking idea, but like this match completely changed my like worldview on wrestling. Like it completely fucking altered my perception of professional wrestling entirely. And now here I am on a podcast with Angelo. <laughs> so and fuck that, you, AJ Styles. And, and tens of listeners. Yes. And that's so, producer Angelo to you. I'll, I'll dock your pay. So thanks a lot, AJ, for that. Thank you. But yeah, greatest match fucking ever. Um, so that will, and now that I've gotten my, uh, my spiel out of the way on this match, that'll take us to our two and a half marks. Angelo, start us off. Sure, I'm gonna go with get some cheap heat. Negative half mark to the four by three aspect ratio. Just a lot. I know. I know it's like a technology thing. That's how TVs were made back in the day. But man, watching it on a sixteen by nine ratio screen, just that dead space on the sides. It sucks. It's just bad. It's just wasted. But uh, negative half mark. My one mark is going to chest chops because especially like the Aries Roderick Strong match, like there are a lot of guys, like there are just a lot of chops. And it happens in a lot of, uh, you know, wrestling in general. It's a very easy thing to do. But for whatever reason, this pay-per-view is just full of these loud, echoey chops that just you know, turn the chest to hamburger meat. And this is something that we, back in college, back when we just graduated, we were doing it to each other because it's like an easy way to like- We be, still do it. We still do it. <laughs> we It's a good way to feel like you're involved with it. It's just like, it's just simple. It's effective. It makes sense. When you see a guy get chopped in the chest, you're like, yeah, that hurts like a bitch. <laughs> and it's an e- it's just an easy thing. It makes me, it makes me smile every time I see it. It will always put a smile on my face whenever they do, especially when like you get bigger guys like a big show who have these giant paws just and they hit and they echo and it sounds like they're caving the the guy's chest. It's just great. It's fantastic. And then my two marks, uh, it's going to go to the company as the promotion and the wrestlers as the brand. And I say this because it feels like in WWE, WWE is the brand. That is the most important thing of WWE is WWE itself. They are the brand. They are what comes first. And it kind of feels like the wrestlers are just aspects of the brand. They're just there. They fit within the brand. They promote the brand. And that's what they are. With AEW, with Impact, with MLW, with any other promotion in wrestling in New Japan, it's less about the brand, the, the promotion, the promotions is just there to book. They're, they're there as a functioning entity. This is the, what you're wrestling on. This is a show you're wrestling on. And the wrestlers themselves are the brand. The wrestler themselves are is the character. That's what is important to the show is that it doesn't matter who what flag they're wrestling under. The guy that is there is what you're there to see. You're not there to see AEW necessarily. You're there to see the wrestler you like. You're there to see Danielson. You're there to see Hangman. You're there to see Omega, Moxley, Kingston, any of these guys you're there to see them. Lee, Lee Moriarty, he's a guy that now is like really popping off and I'll, I'll mark out for him. He's a fantastic worker. But Big Lee guy. when I went to the uh, the first Rampage in Pittsburgh back in August, you know, he had a pretty good following. And like that's who you're there to see is that the, the wrestler is the brand. The wrestler is what's important. The brand itself doesn't matter. And I think Tony Khan has done a great job of doing that. While AEW is a great promotion, it's never been about just AEW. It's about the wrestlers that wrestle under that flag. So two marks to the company as the promotion and wrestlers as the brand. Cause I think this show 
with the guys that they get from Ring of Honor, with how much character there is with a lot of the guys on the card, less so in the X Division for some reason, but like they're there for the work. But like you still get a lot of character and great workers here. It's not about TNA because you have those NWA championships. The TNA World Championship didn't come into existence in 2007. That's why they're using the NWA stuff. But you by having a promotion that's based on, hey, we're just trying to get guys in, put on good matches, and send you home happy. That's how you do wrestling because the it, it it does matter to the fans. Here, here, Angela. <laughs> Jake. All right. Uh, mine are not nearly as deep as Angelo's. Um, I'm giving – I see, I don't know if this should be a positive or a negative mark. I'll let you guys think and help me out. I'm giving it to country-based stables. Like like the West Texas Rednecks? <laughs> no. I was going to say like <laughs> – I see what you're going for. I meant like the Canadian uh, – a Team Canada thing, like – I don't think that I like them, it's, but at the same time, I understand, not necessarily for Canadian, but like, I understand for like, you know, people of color or something like that, then bonding of your nationality is, is great. But like team Canada, like, I don't know. I just like yeah. that, that right there seems like a very superficial way of like, Hey, we're Canadian. I think it's, together. it's slippery. It's very slippery. What about, uh, it's what about like the league of nations where it's like, we're all bonding because we're not American, but we're that's, all. That's a little bit different because there it's like, we're all being marginalized. So let's all get together and fight back. Like, bro, you're from Canada. You're not getting marginalized. <laughs> like, But they're forced to live in this <laughs> subpar country of America. Right, right. And that, that's the other thing, too. They just think Canada is better. Not that they're, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Like, uh, <laughs> like nationalism gimmicks aren't good. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. I, I, I don't know. I'm a sucker for them because it's like it, it is cheap storyline, but you, there's a lot of ways you can promote it as like a good thing and just like, you know, national pride. I think that's fine to promote as. And in wrestling, it's great to do that silly stuff because it's a realm where even if you're talking poorly about another country, it means nothing because you're in professional wrestling. So long as you keep yeah. it tasteful, you're fine. Where you start to run into problems where it starts to feel less tasteful and more nationalistic pride and more eighties wrestling we'll say. And where you're kind of like, this feels where it's, like it where, it's at, where, it's, where it's entirely racist. Like <laughs> there's no, there's no gray lines. Like it's just, they're being racist. I'm giving my one mark to weapons gimmicks uh, that aren't triple H. Cause I love weapons gimmicks unless it's a sledgehammer. Cause a sledgehammer is a dumb gimmick to have, but I love the thumbtack gimmick. Um, I love the pizza cutter gimmick, even though I know like that's a Nick Cage thing now. I just love whenever guys have a certain weapon that they're like, I have mastered the ways of the thumbtacks. Like, that's not even a thing. Like, you can't master the thumbtacks. Like, and like the sledgehammer is cool, but like you're using it wrong. Like, that's not how you use a sledgehammer. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I li- and like a Sandman with the kendo stick. I like those a lot. Uh, so I'm giving one mark to weapons-based gimmicks for Abyss on this show. I loved uh, on the street fight on AEW the other day when uh, Cody Rhodes brought out the golden shovel. <laughs> <laughs> that was he, good. He also brought out a sledgehammer, too, and tossed it to the side. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's, that was great. Uh, and then my positive two marks are going to three perfect guys and a triple threat. Like, you can have a triple threat, whatever, and sometimes the guys' styles don't always match up, but this was the perfect combination of three guys. You've got the monster Samoa Joe, but then you've got two other guys that can also still do that power stuff, while Joe can still do like the acrobatic stuff that 
somebody his size shouldn't normally be able to do. So you've got these three guys that can kind of all defy expectations and that can all work at this insane pace. And it just creates this perfect balance. And I just, I don't think there has ever been, like there have been other good triple threat matches. I just don't think there's ever been a combination of three guys that work so perfectly together. Like if you think of the greatest triple threats in WWE history, you think of like Benoit, Michaels, and Triple H. And like those three are all great wrestlers, but like do they all complement each other super well? I don't really think so. I think I think they kind of work, you know, either similar styles or just not perfect. Like I don't know why I'm thinking about this match, but I'm thinking about Brock, Braun, and Kane from Royal Rumble a couple of years ago. Like <laughs> that was literally that only happened so Kane could eat a pin. Like just three guys were all of any of them could have won and they just put on a hell of a show. So it's perfect guys in a triple threat. Well, kind of expanding on that too. I'm thinking about the SummerSlam match where it was Braun, Roman, Joe and Lesnar, where they're, maybe they don't compliment each other, but it's four large men slapping meat. And that like that in itself is a compliment. Sure. So I, I don't know. But yes, I, I think that's a very good one. And I will finish this off. I'm going to give my half mark to the motherfucking alpha male, Monty Brown. <laughs> a guy, again, I, I, you know, I, I talked about him a little bit, but he is a guy that afterwards, after I watched this, I kind of remembered him, went on a huge, uh, down a huge YouTube rabbit hole of Monty Brown. Just a guy who had Megastar written all over him. Great look, great athlete, guy played in the NFL. Uh, great promo, huge charisma, one of the coolest fucking, like, had a good character, had one of the coolest finishing moves of all time. Like, the dude had it. Like, he had it. And TNA never really pulled the trigger on him. He went over to WWE. He had a brief run in WWE CW and then got out of wrestling in, like, 2008 because... As it turned, apparently uh, his sister uh, tragically died uh, before her time, and he decided to quit wrestling to take care of his sister's kids. So, uh, oh, good, good, good guy Monty Brown. Yeah, I was just I was just about to say something. Good guy Monty Brown. But it it you know it's it's a shame on a number of levels. Uh, you know, but one of them being that we never got to see. I feel like how how high Monty Brown could have reached. <laughs> I feel like that is a guy who had it. Like, you know, and again, like I said, he's one of those guys that like, you know, because he was, you know, just in TNA for a few years and had a very brief WWE run on like the shitty brand and no one liked. Uh, he's a guy that not a lot of people talk about. But if you know, you know. I'm going to give my negative one mark to generic white dudes wearing bandanas because there are a <laughs> lot of generic white dudes wearing bandanas, wearing bandanas gimmicks. In TNA in 2005, all these dudes were interchangeable. I don't remember anything about any of them. Um, yeah. Should I at the Young Bucks? No. Uh, well, maybe maybe uh, maybe Matt Jackson will put me in his uh, Twitter bio. <laughs> um, and I'm going to give my two marks to the X Division, just the concept. Because, again, this was a time in 2005, and I know it's, it's kind of funny to say now, uh, and it has been funny to say for the last like 12 to 13 years, but there did legitimately exist a time where if you were a wrestling fan in America, you needed to watch TNA oh, because God. they 
they would give you stuff. I mean, you know, the, the, the Styles Daniels Joe match, you know, they were having great matches in Ring of Honor. You know, Ring of Honor was putting out incredible product around this time. But unless you were a real hardcore freak at this time, you know, before like internet video streaming was like a thing, you probably weren't seeing that or it, you would have to, you know, go to a little bit of effort to see that, you know, having tape TNA, trading. Yeah, you'd, I mean, this is still probably, I mean, but I bet tape trading still was going on in 2005 for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is having TNA on Cable TV, they were on Spike TV at the time, was for a lot of people who didn't want to go through the, you know, the effort of trying to find all this stuff. Like, this was like a way to see just a type of wrestling that you would not have seen in WWE. WWE at no point in its history is going to give you a match like the one that you got in the main event. They... There have been plenty of great matches in WWE in the last 15 years, but nothing of the style that you see in the main event of this match. Nothing like that. So it was a way to see, you know, a, a type of junior heavyweight wrestling that you just you didn't see it in WWE. And, you know, it, it was there, there was legitimately a time where, like, if you were a wrestling fan, you had to watch TNA because the X Division no matter what else, no matter what else of all the bullshit of TNA booking and Jeff Jarrett putting himself over and all this stuff, they, those guys in the X division, they had an amazing amount of talent and they delivered every single night. It was like the WCW cruiserweight division on steroids. <laughs> and some of them probably were on steroids. But the X, I still love that the X division is just like, yeah, everybody can do it. Yeah. It's, it's as Mike Tanay says, it's not about weight limits. It's about no limits. And that's why <laughs> Samoa Joe, who's like 280 pounds, can just be in the X Division. It's like, all right, well, can you do cool? Like the only the only requirement for being in the X Division was can you do cool shit? If yes, I need that to be, I need that on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, though, about weight because limits. once they rebrand the Cruiserweight title in WWE to the inclusive title, it will become the new X title. Yes. Joe Gacy is going to single-handedly lead a complete rebirth of uh cruiserweight wrestling in the united uh, states i've said i've said it before uh i took this from i think the going in raw podcast where they said they need to make it 205 and 305 live yeah. it's just the biggest boys versus the smallest boys yeah that would be awesome i would love to see that it's just all like tyler Bate versus walter all the time exactly every single day every single day all right well so that will uh close up our coverage of tna unbreakable and so now that we are done with that, we're going to head back to the randomizer. See, we're going to be watching next week. Jake, I know, is going to be out of commission for the next couple weeks because he has basketball to season. Chase some sweaty children around a gym. Um, oh, right. I'm going to be refereeing basketball, not what David just said. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it will either be just the two of us, Angel. We might have some uh, special guests on. We'll see what happens. Uh, but at least for the next couple of weeks, there's going to be no Jake. And then uh, Christmas is coming up holiday week. So we might not do a pod that week. We'll see what happens, but at the very least at the very least you're getting Angelo and I the next couple of weeks. So uh, we are going to go back to it and hit the randomizer. See what we're going to be watching next week. As I pull this up, 
I guess just you, Angelo, because fuck Jake. Uh, I hope you all get shit. I hope you all get the worst <laughs> shit we've gotten on this entire show in 71 episodes. I hope it is something excellent and good. that fills David's going to make joy. sure it's good because I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> okay. So uh, Jake might be right. We might get some dog shit. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, we got uh, a... You had a remember like around like 2018, 2019, where they just had a bunch of randomly weird names. Oh no! Reused again. Is this this stomping grounds? We got stomping grounds. (laughs) Yeah, we got WWE stomping grounds from uh, June of 2019 from the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Main events is Seth Rollins, (laughs) Baron Corbin in the main events. Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin uh, with special guest referee Lacey Evans. You guys oh, this, this story. Oh. You guys remember that feud? No. Suck. Why? 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 Oh, this is this is comeuppance for the extreme rules that got cut and, and because the audio quality was crap. Uh, uh, at least me. at least Seth, Becky, and Corbin Lacey was entertaining. Uh, this is not. This is not going to be good. This is going to be yeah. pretty. Oh, so this is, Jake. This, this is also during the Kofi run where every Kofi match was the same, unfortunately. Yeah. Jake, I hope you're fucking happy, buddy. I cannot wait to listen to this episode. I hope you're fucking happy. So, yeah, next week, uh, Seth Rollins, Mary Corbin, the main event. We got a Kofi and Dolph match. We got a Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre match. Uh, yeah, I've. You know, was really actively trying to not watch WWE at the time period. So drag me back into it next week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast, WWE Stomping Grounds. So uh, for my good friends, Angela and Lisa and Jake Long, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.